1: Today we are here, all shiny and new, because it's the first day of a new series! Woo woo! Yeah! Welcome to the Feminism Series! We have just completed our movie series, and we added on an extra pilot episode for Star Trek Prodigy, and now we are diving into the greatest and most badass women of Star Trek. I'm so excited! And of course, today we will be starting with our feminism in Star Trek, the original series. Yeah, we are going right back to our old ways, which is (laughs) starting through in the beginning. And then, you know, we'll go on to Next Gen, DS9. It seems like that movie series lasted for like three months.
0: Yeah, because it did.
1: (laughs) It was definitely our longest series. Even though we had a very long family series, the movies just keep on going. We got so lucky that we got to talk about all those incredible films. Yeah, it was so much fun, but I will admit I was missing diving into the more niche aspects of these episodes and of like all our favorite characters and so i am really excited to get back to this format that we have even rihanna our pre-talk before the podcast we are like putting the women in order and like riding a bike yeah well and i found myself having to hold back when i was watching these episodes because we're not talking about the entire episode anymore it's like because with the movie series we got to talk about the entire movie And now we just get to talk about the women. And so that was really interesting. I had to refocus my brain and be like, nope, you can't talk about like politics right now. (laughs) Just the women. Hold it in. So Rihanna, this was your choice. You know, we, our, our listeners should know that we trade off between the two of us to see who picks the next series. And so Rihanna chose feminism. And this is a series that you've been wanting to do for a really long time. You said, quote, it's your destiny series. Um, yes. And so tell us a little bit about that and then also dive into what feminism means to you. Great, great questions, Ashlyn. So I remember when Ashlyn and I were driving in the car, we were heading to Oregon when we sort of started thinking about this podcast as an idea. Um, we had a wedding out there, Ashlyn was doing an opera production out there, and so we just were like, you know, it'd be so fun if we started a Star Trek podcast. And so on that trip, and then subsequently when we would go hiking in the mountains in Colorado, we would just start pretty much brainstorming. So I have a notebook that has like pages worth of Dora's sister's ideas. And I remember us saying, like, how are we going to cover it? Do we want to go episode by episode? Or, like, what do we want to do? And once we landed on the idea of series, the first thing I wrote down was feminism. It was something that was just at the front of my mind. And especially with Discovery, I think that it really kicked my butt into gear to think about all of the incredible women we've seen in Star Trek throughout history. And, of course, starting with a legend like Nichelle Nichols. And so I just... I, as a massive feminist myself, I really think it's so important that we highlight these incredible women because so much of Star Trek is very male-centric. I mean, most of the captains are male. Janeway was our first female captain that we got to see, you know, all the time and not just for an episode or what have you. And of course now we have Michael, we have Captain Freeman, and we're getting more inclusive when it comes to women captains and stuff, but we have to talk about those trailblazers. We have to talk about people like Nichelle Nichols, like Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, freaking, like, on a visitor, we have to talk about all of these incredible women who paved the way for people like Sinequa Martin Green and all of these incredible women that we have in Star Trek today. And so I think that. Feminism is kind of a tricky topic to talk about, particularly because it gets a bad rap, honestly, a lot of the times. Particularly when I was in high school, I remember I joined a feminism club, and I posted a picture on Instagram of me holding up a sign, like, I am a feminist because, and it was essentially I said, um, like, because I believe that women deserve equal rights to men. I got a lot of flack on instagram actually people were really surprised that i was a feminist which is kind of weird to me because i'm like well i'm a woman who wants equal pay and equal opportunity but i'm also a white woman so i understand that i already have this white privilege but i also know that like being a woman is still difficult no matter your race it's just there's these intersectional difficulties that i think are so important to talk about and so I think as I grew as a feminist, I started to realize the intersectionality of feminism and how important it is to not just talk about white women and talk about Susan B. Anthony, you know, who is a definitely amazing feminist trailblazer. So important to talk about, but we can't talk about Susan B. Anthony unless we talk about like Sojourner Truth, you know, and like black women and women of color who were doing this way before white women were. And so I just think, Two, we have to bring into the conversation every single type of woman. We're also, you know, I think so often trans women are left out of the conversation when it comes to feminism because of body parts. It's so ridiculous. Like if you don't have the the quote unquote correct autonomy, then you're not seen as a, a, a part of the feminist group. And so feminism can get really caught in the crosshairs of like what people believe feminism is, and it can become a kind of gatekeeping or a not inclusive space. And so with this series, I wanted to make it as inclusive as possible, but understanding that I'm coming from a white woman's perspective. And so I want to say in advance, like I and Ashley and I are going to try our hardest and we're going to do our best to speak on each culture, but also know that like, I do not want to step on the toes of black women or of people of color, women of color, trans women as a cis white woman i don't have their perspective but i still want to champion and talk about these characters in star trek and how essential they are to this discussion. And so I just think it's so important and something that Star Trek does actually talk about sometimes. We are going to be talking about, you know, in Next Generation, there's an episode where a person who is identifies versus non-binary realizes she identifies as female. And so there's just these different times where like we have to bring in people into the conversation so it's not just about white women. And I'm just really excited to talk about this series because I think Star Trek obviously has a long way to go to be fully equal when it comes to feminism. But has done amazing things. Yeah, so I mean this is my long way of saying that like Feminism is definitely a part of who I am It's something that we grew up in our household feeling really confident about. I remember our dad was like very much calls himself a feminist He has three daughters, you know And like he understands that women don't get the same rights as men and don't get the same opportunities And of course our mom I have so we have so many incredible women figures in our life our grandma is just an incredible source of power to me and same with my mom our moogie and my stepmom and like we just have such these strong women in our lives and i really wanted to sort of you know champion all of these incredible women on the screen and off the screen so ashlyn how do you feel about what is your sort of journey with feminism and how do you feel about how it interacts with star trek Well, thank you for saying all of that. Beautifully said, as usual. It feels good to be back in a, uh, I don't know, like a really meaningful topic, you know? Yeah. Um, So my journey with feminism, I honestly didn't know what it was until I was in high school. And then I I think I was in an AP Lang class, which is like my junior year, which is just, you know, obviously not about feminism, but we were reading... Mm -hmm. Joyce Carol Oates novel Mm. I think The Falls and it happened to come up and we had a discussion about it in our class and I thought it was so confusing why feminism had such a negative connotation Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the guys in my class were very hesitant to say that they were feminists Mm. and my teacher brought up the definition of feminism which I'm going to read to you all now it's literally the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of equality and the sexes and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Like, period. That's it. And I think the connotation that it has built over the years is that feminists are women who want to kill men or, or who burn want bras. To... I mean, I feel like burning <laughs> bras is fine. Yeah. <laughs> bras are boob cages anyway. <laughs> yeah. Bras were created by men, like, yeah. so they wouldn't see nipples. It, I don't know. There's, like, a whole war on nipples I don't understand. Um, yeah. But... Yeah. So I think especially in the era that Rihanna and I were growing up, um, which is funny to say, because we're still very young. Um, But I I mean, for perspective, I was a junior in high school in like 2013. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: it it did feel like being like saying feminism was kind of a dirty word. But if I said something completely the same, like if I said, oh, I believe in rights for all women or they wouldn't come at me, you know, yeah, that's um, not radical, but I guess feminism is. <laughs> yeah. So, I I want to just put that out there and set it aside. It is like we don't want to kill men. Um, no. we don't want to like take over the earth and like use men as baby makers. Like no. We just want to have equality for women of all colors, all races, and that's it. Just for half the planet to have the same rights as the other half of the planet yeah um pretty simple folks yeah exactly <laughs> the more i've gotten older and especially going through college and then i i think culture has at least in the united states has started to shift a little bit where i don't really think of feminism as a dirty word anymore i don't think it has that same kind of hatred i think as a country we're shifting more towards like racism is has kind of like really come to the forefront um once again sexism is I mean as always racism is always there but I feel like it's more on people's minds now than sexism Mm -hmm. that's not to say that any problems have been solved at least in my spectrum Star Trek is a place that I feel like for the most part a pretty good example of what a future would look like with true equality for everyone Now, the original series is maybe not. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This was the first time preparing for a podcast that I was watching the original series, and I was like, oh, oh no. Cringy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because I think when you're watching it not through this lens, you know, when you're just watching it to enjoy or watching it for the sci-fi or for the campy goofiness or what I normally watch for, which is like Kirk and Spock, sh- like, and shipping them. It's easy to overlook this type of perspective, and so I think it'll be really interesting to get into these characters and talk a little bit about it. And I also want to say that, you know, as Rihanna mentioned, we are both white women, and so we do not, absolutely do not understand the perspective of uh, women from other races. In the meantime, it's going to be... Rihanna and me talking about Star Trek. Really quick, Ashlyn, Mm -hmm. one more thing I want to say, too, is, like, you know, call us out if we, if you feel like we're not representing your identity as a feminist, you know? We want to be as inclusive as possible, but we know we have these blind spots, and so I just want also you all to feel like this is a safe space, and anyone who feels left out of the narrative, please come contact us, and we want to hear your stories, yeah, absolutely. We had people, um, we've done corrections in the past. We've gotten emails. Um, I remember, oh, God. Oh, I <laughs> the Dragon a, Ball one? Oh, yeah, oh. the Dragon Ball one. And then also, like, I learned about some war crimes that happened in World War II that I didn't think happened. It was, yeah. it's really tragic. So please fill up our inbox with um, any requests <laughs> you might have. Uh, in the meantime, just to lighten it up a little bit. We do have a wonderful shout-out from Strange New Pod's own Julian. He just listened to our podcast last week on the pilot of Prodigy that we did with our little sister Gabby, and he said that he really liked it. He thought it was really cool to have her on. So thanks, Julian, for the shout-out. We also want to do a quick shout-out to Strange New Pod in general because they are having a fantastic lineup in the next two weeks because they are hosting a Picard week. So that's right, guys, it's not Picard Day. it's Picard week and it's basically yes. basically going to be a full amazing week of podcasts going live on Twitch or pre-recording podcast, and it's going to be shown that entire week, and it's all about Picard. And we are very honored to be a part of Picard Week. We are going to be talking about Picard and diplomacy, so we're going to be talking about Picard's best and most epic speeches and episodes where he had to really just bring out the big, liter- big guns verbally, or <laughs> I guess the big word guns. No, that's wrong. <laughs> he had to bring up the big guns when it comes to diplomacy and you know, Picard is one of the best at it. So we cannot wait to talk about that. And we will actually have Julian on as a guest on our pod for his pod <laughs> so it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be a strange new pod rihanna <laughs> yeah the whole team in general is amazing i just love everyone who does strange new pod they do an incredible job and we are just so honored to be a part of it absolutely we are going to be going live at seven o'clock eastern on saturday the 26th so please go check out strange new pod they have all their details already lined up. I think all that went live yesterday. So, woo. Yeah. Quick shout out to them. Yeah. And thank you, Julian. We have been getting a lot of feedback about our podcast. We did with our little sister, Gabby, even our, um, even Gabby's grandma, our step grandma uh, Susan, shout out to her. She also listened to it. Does not know anything about Star Trek oh, and know still that. loved it. Susan yeah, to it? Oh. yeah. She said I listened to Miss G on your pod. I thought it was amazing. She's so well spoken, which I agree.
0: <laughs> she is. <laughs> I
1: know our mom was listening to it, and she's like, oh, Gabby is. Fire, like she's full of fire, which is she's true. amazing. Yeah, yeah, we're really excited to have her on. I think later prodigy episodes would be great to have her too. We're actually we have already asked her if she would like to be a guest on our feminist episode of prodigy. Okay. So she will be back talking about the amazing ladies in prodigy as well. I hope you guys like when we have guests on because we like it. I mean, it's I really like to have just the the control. You know that rihanna and I have. We know each other so well. But mm-hmm. also, when we have guests on, I think it really adds a lot to um, everybody's perspective. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'm excited. This is going to be a uh, guest-filled series, I think. Absolutely. Sometimes when my favorite podcasts have guests on, I skip those episodes. Um, no shade. <laughs> so I hope, you, I hope you don't skip. I hope it's better with a guest. But, you know, I, I respect whatever opinions you have. <laughs> Truly, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Rihanna since your since this is your series your baby i'm gonna ask you this question we don't want any men to feel left out (laughs) and so kind of is like a hilarious question to start out our feminism series i'm wondering which man in the original series of star trek drinks their respect women juice (laughs) oh man i mean you know my answer i think anyone who has listened to like maybe even a fourth of this podcast would know that my answer is unconditionally Spock. I mean, there is no way in my mind that anyone drinks more Respect Women juice than Spock does. He is chugging that (laughs) juice every day. (laughs) Sure, there's times where he can be a little bit like dicey with women and that comes from the time that original series came out. It comes from the writing um, and I completely understand that but i think out of all of the characters spock drinks that respect women juice he is always very respectful to ahura he and he really respects chapel's feelings even if he doesn't understand them he understands where she's coming from with her infatuation he is always like very kind to the random lady of the week in each mm-hmm. episode you know the one that kirk is banging he's being very respectful to yes. you know <laughs> like he's kind of the antithesis of kirk and I just really appreciate that about him. I think true in, this is true in the movies as well. Savic, he is so respectful to her. He gives her these chances to prove herself and to show her worth, uh, particularly her being one of the first female Vulcans in Starfleet. It's just all incredible to see that the way he really listens to women as well, you know, and he gives them the time of day. And I just want to say, like, yes, this is kind of a silly question to start out with in our feminism series, but it's also really important that men do be included in the feminist conversation, because we cannot have feminism work without men. This is the thing, is it's, like, the same thing with any sort of race relations. If we're going to be better as humanity, we need the more privileged side to stand up for those who have less privilege. Like... White people can't just sit around and do nothing about racism because they have the voice and they have the power. So they have to stand up against racism. Same thing with feminism. Men have to be with the women because they are the voices that have more power and have more, like, weight to them. And so it's so important to include men in this conversation because... I think that every man should be a feminist if you have a mother, if you have a sister, if you have a grandmother. Even if you don't, people say that a lot, you know, like mm-hmm. if you think about your sister or your mother or your grandmother, but you shouldn't have to think about them to no. want rights for women. You shouldn't. That's the thing. It's it's mostly my way to get to other men, but also then men used in that as an excuse to only treat their mothers and sisters exactly. well. But not the average woman on the street. They're still gonna catcall. They're still gonna, you know, do horrible things. And so I think that like you're so right. I that can't be just just because you have a woman in your life. You should do it regardless. But yeah, men have to be a part of this conversation. Yeah, I also just want to do one more shout out to our dad because he is a teacher and him being an outspoken feminist for our whole lives and then also for all the children that he's teaching is really powerful. Um, so, to all the men who are um, outspoken about their feminism, thank you <laughs> and keep doing your good work. Yeah, you have to, <laughs> essentially. So, Spock is a great answer and he's really like the best answer for the original series. Yeah. Um, I am going to uh, do a curveball and I'm going to say Scotty. Because nice, Ashlyn. I I mean, it's kind of by process of of elimination. Um, I feel like Sulu barely interacts with women, except like in Mirror Mirror. Um, McCoy and Kirk are kind of eh. Um, eh. Yeah, super eh. Uh, off is eh. Um,
0: so kind of by you know,
1: I I know that Scotty religiously loves his ship, and and she's a woman, so. Um, no. can't, can't disclude enterprise in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I generally think that Scotty never does anybody wrong. He's just a good person who's trying to do the best he can. And when he's interacting, like, sure, he might think like a woman is attractive or something, but he's not aggressive about it. He is very respectful to women. And so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm doing a little Scotty shout out today. He, he, I don't, I don't think he's chugging that juice the same way that Spock is, but he's kind of sipping from his respect woman glass yeah like he trains off with his brandy and his respect women juice. oh i think he pours the brandy in the respect women
0: juice <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah
1: so ashlyn would you mind telling our listeners which episodes we watched this week to prepare or would you like me i have it pulled up. i got it Oh, yeah. Okay, you guys ready? So I'm I'm back to Wild and Ashlyn. I'm just going to read any episode in any order I want. Um, <laughs> Welcome
0: <laughs> to the chaos. Welcome to the
1: chaos. Um, okay, so we watched... Um, I'll just say, like, to prepare for Chapel, who we're going to talk about first, we watched What Little Girls Are Made Of, The Changeling, and Scenes From A Time. And then for Yeoman Rand, we watched Charlie X... For Edith Keeler, we watched City on the Edge of Forever. Savik, we saw some scenes from The Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock, obviously. <laughs> um, I'm sorry we didn't watch The One Minute from Voyage Home. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. um, Jayla, of course, we watched some scenes from Beyond. And uh, DC Fontana, we watched Friday's Child for DC Fontana. And then for Ahura, we watched Mirror, Mirror, Charlie X. The Lorelei signal and Once Upon a Planet from the animated series of Star Trek. Um, we did also see some snippets for Ahura. We saw um, a little bit of Plateau stepchildren, The Naked Time, um, Search for Spock, and Into Darkness um, for a little bit of Ahura. So it was a lot of snippets this round because unfortunately the original series is not the best example of feminism, and I can only think of a couple of moments really where Ahura um, has a really well i mean they're all all amazing but i can only think of a couple of moments that are not cringe worthy with a lot of yeah. these women i know it was honestly making the feminist list for this and for enterprise was the most difficult yeah which i just find baffling but um i mean i'm not that surprised about tos but i'm a little surprised about enterprise um, but anyway, yeah, I think that it is interesting to see, like, you know, what sort of snippets we can get from feminism in the original series. So, without further ado, are you ready to dive in, Ashlyn? I'm ready to rumble! <laughs> in honor of the Super Bowl that just happened. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the rumbling, so. Oh, also, happy Valentine's Day. It was yesterday. Like, we didn't have anything happen, but just no. just letting you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay we love you all (laughs) you're all our valentines yeah um okay so rihanna let's talk about nurse chapel yes let's talk about majel barrett first of all okay i think if we're going to talk about nurse chapel we got to talk about majel (laughs) she is the mother of star trek absolutely period um ashlyn i know you're kind of our resident historian do you have some like fun facts you can throw at us about uh majel barrett oh man yeah um What a life, man. So everyone knows her as Nurse Chapel, and then she went on later in Star Trek to be uh, the voice of the computer for almost every series except Discovery. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Lwaxana Troy, Troy's mother, on uh, The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. She lived longer than Gene Roddenberry did. He died after The Undiscovered Country came out. And she passed away in 2008. There was a lot going on when her and Gene first got together. Gene Ronberry like definitely had affairs for sure um, before they got married. It nothing ever happened with him and Nichelle Nichols, but I think he like wanted that to happen. Um, He was like doing a lady on the set. Like it's rough out here. Um, but yeah. they ended up getting together and she got a role on the show, obviously because she's an actress, but also because she was the right, the wife of the creator of Star Trek. Yeah, that, that's pretty good shoe in there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I also have to say that she was um, in the pilot episode of Star Trek uh, in the cage, and she was number one, who was given no name, um, mm-hmm. no titles, no land. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of game of thrones. So. <laughs> yeah. Rachel, she's number one, first of her name, <laughs> but, uh, she, I mean, we're going to talk about number one and Pike and everything later. We're going to talk about that in discovery. Um, so I'm, you know, we didn't watch that episode today to prepare for it, but, um, Yeah. That is, like, a very sexist episode and a really rough role for her. And so I'm really happy that when they changed the cast and moved everything around to, you know, find William Shatner and everything, that they kept Majel Barrett. And she has this role as Dr. McCoy's head nurse, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that later in her career, she goes on to be an MD, so she gets to be a doctor. Yeah. Um She's awesome. I feel like she is the sensitive side to McCoy because mm-hmm. his bedside manner is awful. He's very blunt, and he's just going to tell you how it is. I mean, if yeah. you're, like, really hurt, he'll, like, be calm to you. But <laughs> otherwise, he's like, you're will just <laughs> God, pour God, some man. whiskey in it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Nurse Chapel is the person who comes in after he's done with surgery and says, you know, how are you doing? can I get you, you know, like, do you need some juice? (laughs) Some respect women juice perhaps, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And she actually has a pretty large role on the show, considering it's packed full of men. Um, There are a lot of episodes that she's in here. Yeah, this is something that I really love about chapel is that even if she's not the focal point of an episode you're still probably gonna see her in nearly every episode especially if mccoy's involved unless mccoy like waters up to the bridge and hangs out with spock and kirk because he does that a lot where he just like hangs out on the bridge but any sort of sick bay happenings she's always there most of her lines are yes doctor no doctor you know which is like kind of irritating but when she does get her own centric scenes or episodes it's very exciting to me because chapel has always been a character who i don't necessarily think about right away but when she's there she's always very strong and i think major barrett plays her beautifully like you said the sensitive side she gets to be that way for uhura as well i think she gets to be the balance uhura is kind of the scientific logical like part of the crew and then she's more the sensitive side we know that she has this deep infatuation for Spock which same I am definitely relate to Chapel in this where she's just like dreadfully in love with Spock like oh my gosh if I had to be around Spock every day I would also be like Chapel (laughs) um but yeah I think that this is so cool and you know it is interesting because like she does play the nurse and that is such a like stereotypically female role to play and often what what women during that time that's all they could be there was not a lot of female doctors like they could only be nurses and that was the profession that they were sort of quote-unquote allowed into since it was like a feminine profession and so it does make sense that she has this more gentler side of her because that's also kind of a stereotype of a nurse is that they're like gentle and kind and I mean you have to be if you're a nurse like I mean I know a lot of nurses who are badass and just like they get everything done and doesn't mean they're not kind but they're like definitely more like blunt or abrasive like McCoy but Chapel did play this softer like very like very much a nurse type position so I always thought that was interesting but I am glad that she does get these episodes that help her to shine you know and we get more about her background like in what little girls are made of this is an episode that i literally have not seen since the first time ashley and i watched star trek when we were in middle school yeah i really did not remember a lot of this episode but i'm thankful That, I mean, I always say this because I'm so thankful for the podcast, but I'm happy that we get to go back and watch these because whenever I'm in, whenever I have some free time and I want to watch TOS, I'm pretty much never going to go back and rewatch a lot of kind of the weird ones. But, you know, actually, this episode holds up more than I thought. Um, And it gives us some amazing backstory into Chapel. Which yes. I mean, and this is only the like seventh episode of the season, I think. In season one. So this is like yeah. fresh Star Trek. And um we find out that Chapel is engaged. Like she's yeah, actively engaged, even though I guess I don't think we know right now that he that she's into Spock. No. Um and so yeah, this is like where the turning point happens. But uh there's this guy his name is Roger Corby. And she... So, Rihanna, is he, like, presumed dead or missing? So, she hasn't seen him in five years. He has been... She hasn't spoken to him or anything. He's been absent. So, she, turns out, we learned that she gave up her career in bio-research to work on a starship, to work on the Enterprise. And while she and he was doing bio-research, they kind of, you know, their careers took them in different directions. They were still engaged, but... Then it turns out he disappeared on this planet. The ter- surface temperature is like negative three or not three, negative like 40 or something crazy. <laughs> negative um, three is what it is in Chicago right now. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah I'm like, wait, that's fine. they would be all right. <laughs> um, no, it's like something unbearable. And so they're not sure if he's alive or dead. Literally, she's heard nothing from him for five years, which is that's scary that's really like a frightening place to start for her you know and and the fact that they're coming to this planet and she's hearing roger's voice for the first time in all these years and you can just see the way she lights up and she's so thrilled and like even before when they're waiting to get contact with the planet she's so nervous and i really do like how kirk is with her in this episode i think that he for the most part is really caring and loving about her situation and understanding you know that this is really hard for her and he kept speaking, he kept being like it's gonna be okay like i think roger's still alive you know and when they think he is for quite a while um it's like you know it's just so it's really cool that we get such a like chapel centric episode because like i feel like we don't get to hear a lot about her love life or her just like her career before the enterprise at all well and this is really the last episode we get any yeah. backstory <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. So, you know, like enjoy it while you can. Um Truly. I really like the scene where she's on the bridge that you mentioned where she's hearing his voice for the first time because I think it's Spock or someone asks her, Are you sure that's his voice? Because it could be an imposter, it could be anyone else like just saying yeah. that Roger Corby. And she kinda like gives him daggers and is like, This is my fiance? Of course I know that it's him. Yes. And I really related to that because you know your SO's voice without a doubt. Oh, yeah. You're like shoot me. I know. Like Yeah. <laughs> Oh, exactly. Well, and um, I want to mention, too, I love watching the other actors on the se- on the screen here because when Chapel's getting to talk to Roger and everything, there's two, like, random yeomans or whatever in the background. Another black lady, which is amazing. I, like, we never get to see her or, or like, no a lot name, of other women but of color. Yeah. Yeah, but she's there with another guy. You know the guys who always wear the, like, completely blue suits? Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're engineers or what's going on with them. But so they're in the background just sort of, like, watching Chapel and like they're ecstatic for her they're like grinning ear to ear and it's just really cute and then i love that right before chapel goes to the transporter room ohura gets up and gives her this big hug and i love that because it's sort of this solidarity of like i'm so happy for you and this is another thing that i absolutely adore about star trek is that we don't often, at least between the bridge members of the female bridge members, we don't see a lot of competition and we don't see them having to like fight for a man or like do a lot of that sort of like quote unquote caddy stuff that is seen with women. A lot of the times, like particularly because women have to compete for the same jobs or compete for the same rights that only one woman can get in this, you know, uh, career path or whatever it may be. But on the bridge and on, you know, especially amongst the senior staff, her and Chapel have such a great relationship and they really do support each other. I think that they sort of understand like we are the only women here in this like you know senior position so we do we have to support each other and like celebrate our successes and our triumphs and i just love that ahura gets up and gives her this hug it's beautiful yeah i wrote that in my notes too because you can see her genuine excitement ahura is nothing but pumped for chapel she yeah like i i just relate to that so much you know when something good happens to your friend you have to like leave your post and you're like ah like oh my god your (laughs) fiance is alive and you're gonna see him right now that's like that's amazing (laughs) incredible absolutely and then Roger and Toph meet again, and it instantly turns into chaos. Yeah. <laughs> like, this This makes me... This, my heart breaks for her, because this episode, you know, the for the majority of it, we think that Roger is alive. He's clearly there, and he looks like Roger, but he's not acting at all like the man she remembers. She is, like, wondering what is going on with him. He's talking about this great discovery he found. There's a bunch of, like, random people on the planet that they don't know for a while are androids. And so she first sees this gorgeous woman who's in these this horrible very sexist outfit that like barely covers her boobs it's like a cross over her boobs okay rihanna you say sexist <laughs> but i was actually looking online to see if this outfit existed i mean it's sexy don't get me wrong it's cute i yeah. mean i feel like i could wear that at a con and some deep star trek fan would be like hey no what literally i made of yeah. <laughs> i mean it's a very cute outfit and so it, it's sort of i always fall in this category of like i love that she's like bam like she's getting it but you know that it wasn't her choice to wear Wear yeah, that. you know that Roger or some sexist man made it for her to like show off her little android boobs. Well, and like, why can't <laughs> she wear the same outfit as everyone else? Like, every thank you, it looks like a sack on the men, so <laughs> yeah, they're just wearing jumpsuits yeah, essentially. They should let the women wear a sack if she wants, but I mean, I think it's a little bit better because they're all like androids hanging out together, yeah, and loki like, she has no autonomy, the um, yeah, android lady. Like, uh, Roger Corby is like, kiss Kirk and then slap him. And she has to follow every command. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't, it, I don't know. It's really sad. And I'm glad she's an android because it's not like a human going through that. But also it's really messed up. I mean, I think about Data. If he was sexualized in this way, I'd be devastated, know. you know? I mean, so She's like a sex robot low-key and it's it's Except terrible. for not. Like, I mean, she wasn't built to have sex, but like she was still built... Well, and we find out, like, the way they make androids is by using, like, a human copy. So we do know that there was an Andrea probably on the planet before then. Um, but, yeah, this is sort of where we get into the, we see the competitiveness of women, um, particularly when it comes to sort of, quote-unquote, fighting over a man. Um, because Chapel sees this gorgeous woman, Andrea, and is instantly suspicious of her and is in- instantly wondering, like, Whoa, why have you been, you never told me about Andrea and all this stuff. Okay, but Rihanna, it's been five years and she hasn't heard from him. And she's the only woman on the planet? yeah, Yeah, I would be doing the same exact. Oh, totally. Yeah, I, yeah. What, like, especially because Roger's acting so weird anyway, and there's a random lady here, that is not okay. Like, I mean, I don't think of myself as a catty person. We clearly see that Chapel isn't, but I think it's reasonable for her to feel totally <laughs> like, that's so true. Extremely concerned, and also, I think that says something about like just men in general that we mm-hmm. just expect um, some cheating to be going on. RIP yeah it's true (laughs) absolutely period anyway yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah. so i mean she was wondering like she was like who's this mechanical geisha she said and Mm -hmm. i was like whoa 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 like again totally understand her her jealousy and but first of all geisha is like a like not a term you should be using and also uh she's not built that way she's not like you said she's not built with like um sexual organs and stuff like that well, yeah corby um, says she doesn't even have the capability yeah yeah which is weird because, because she does have the capability to fall in love and yeah so she definitely has the parts actually now that i'm thinking about it
0: because she like, was, was just that copied
1: right yeah like, was I... that just something to pacify chapel Oh, I think you're right. Because I'm pretty sure, cause later in the episode, I'm like, no one can see me except Rihanna, but I'm like twirling my finger around because (laughs) that's how they make the androids is they like later in the episode, they lay Kirk down (laughs) on the bed and like spin him around. And then like an android appears. (laughs) Also they said he's not harmed. I would be puking my guts up if I were spitting that Um, fast. That's the teacup ride, you know, like (laughs) I am not okay. he looked fine he was just like "Mm, anyway (laughs) but yeah you're right but they completely make a copy i'm pretty sure that that android has kirk's dick like am i allowed to say kirk's dick on the podcast i don't know Uh, Um, i don't know (laughs) i'm pretty sure it has kirk's wee wee you know (laughs) (laughs) you know i think wee wee's more offensive than dick ashlyn i did not like that (laughs) Oh, we'll just call it his his, uh, his Jimbo. His bit how's that? His Jimbo <laughs> Jim Junior <laughs> uh, Well, regardless, I think it's there, you know. Whether yeah. or not it's functional, who sure. knows? That's true. It could just be like there but not functional. Wow, Rihanna, okay. I mean I didn't expect to think this, but yeah. I I think Dr. Corby was straight up lying at Chapel.
0: Mm -hmm. i
1: think because one he's trying to get her on his side to this like essentially plot for immortality um it's also also androids for all yeah yeah, (laughs) he wants the androids to run the universe he's kind of like a lot of the androids (laughs) in picard um is this where the uh the prophecy came from perhaps <laughs> is <laughs> yeah, he just exactly. following the path of his android ancestors oh i mean we don't know who this mysterious the one is or whatever that created them but anyway that's for a different podcast <laughs> yeah well and obviously since we have and well i don't i'm just gonna say it because i have to yeah um, even though it's not about feminism we do have androids obviously in tng soon does not take any advice from (laughs) dr corby (laughs) but i think it's good i think um it's interesting because copying is so much easier than creating yourself and oh absolutely um no pun intended um (laughs) like yourself (laughs) (laughs) anyway um and so i feel like just copying them in android form I don't, I don't know the science on this. Is that easier than just, like, what Soon did? Like, building an original body? I, it's gotta be. But also, how do you even... I don't get it. Like how I do literally you, don't where get do, it. <laughs> where do you... With a positronic net? Like, is there one? I just don't get it. I, I don't know. I'm like, it's sort of just, like, my hands are in the air. I'm just sort of, like, surrendering to that this is just the plot for the episode, you know? Yeah. It's never returned to. Uh, I just had to throw it out there because Android. But, yeah. um... Yeah, I don't know. The whole thing's sus. It, yeah, he he's really trying to replicate everyone, and I think his goal is to like replicate everyone on the Enterprise. And then, oh like, yeah, I know, mean he said to, to slowly. Yeah, he said to slowly integrate androids into society until everyone's just an android, which again is like taking away their rights and like also, it, you know, because Kirk was making this argument about how like if you take away, you know, if yes, androids can be built for good, but they can also be built for bad as we've seen with lore or seen with like a lot of plots on Star Trek. And so anyway, it's just interesting for me to see Chapel struggle with this through this episode. So we're seeing the Android Kirk dress up as, as biological, or as like bio Kirk, I don't know, human Kirk, I should say, and talk to Chapel. And he says, he suggests betraying Roger and Chapel says that she would rather die. And this is, like, a huge indicator. And she really is, like, a person who goes all into things. Like, she does not, like, she, like... She's dramatic uh, a little bit. Yeah, 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 a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, she likes the drama, and she... She likes talking about, like, dying for people, or crawling up and dying, and, like, all of this stuff. She makes, like, really powerful declarations, you know? Yeah. Which I'm like, okay! Fair enough! (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so, I think that Chapel... I mean, it's understandable. Your fiancé, you haven't seen in, in five years. Having to find out what Roger is a android? That sucks. <laughs> that really sucks. Well, here's the thing. It's like, her Roger died on the planet. So it's kind of revealed at the end that he was, I guess, dying from the cold or something when he like first went missing. And then this creator or whatever, um, was it the... The guy who's who's this big dude? Rook 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 <laughs> Rook um, is he the creator or is he just like no, another? He was there was the people called the ones oh, the that one. created them like thousands of centuries or thousands of years ago or something, and they left this technology there. Yeah, Got and it. so I guess he duplicated himself to live on. Got and it. And it became an android. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, so it's double sad for Chapel because she had her hopes up. That maybe after all this time, Corby was still alive. And then not only is he dead, but she had this glimmer of hope where it seemed like maybe she could be back with him or something. And nope. Yeah, that makes it almost even worse, you yeah, know, that yeah. she had that hope and then it got taken away. And like like with Star Trek, this never comes up again. And we don't see Chapel grieving. We don't see her go through this like mourning process. It just never, <laughs> you know, nothing comes of, nothing like, you know, and I guess then she just starts falling in love with Spock. <laughs> yeah, she transfers that on to Spock. And it's interesting because obviously the two main women we have in the original series are Ahura and Chapel. Ahura is free from any man. like She's not a character because she's in love with someone or because yeah. she's actively pursuing a relationship with someone. But I feel like Chapel is kind of painted in this corner for the rest of the series where she, her character's purpose is to fall in love with Spock whenever the plot needs or to create an awkward moment with Spock and his humanity. Um, You're so right. But the thing is, because Ahura there, it proves to me that there are enough brains in this writing center and enough women like DC Fontana, who we'll get to soon, Um that these two different types of women can exist, so I feel like this is kind of a big step, you know, (laughs) for the 60s. I, I really do appreciate that about these two, in that it is frustrating that Chapel is sort of reduced to only being Spock's love interest, but I think that you're right, like, some people do have these deep infatuations with others and like it's good they show it too honestly well and honestly like if someone was filming my life I would be that person I'd be that lady who's always seeking a guy to chase (laughs) that's who I am not like in a like casual sense I'm have always been a long-term person if I'm dating someone it's because I see some long-term potential in them so I I'm totally like chapel I mean I think There's no long-term chance with Spock because he's gay. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, like, she's into him, and she she holds that crush for a long time. Absolutely, yeah. When we see this in a muck time as well. I mean, this is one of the episodes where we get the most of – the most insight into her chemistry or into her infatuation with Spock. And – like, I love that she knows something's off with Spock. She realizes he hasn't eaten in a few days, and she immediately homemakes him Vulcan plumique soup. Like, that's amazing. You could just replicate that. But no, she, like, takes time out of her day to make it for him. I also want to say that this is a whole season after, you know, this is the first episode of season two, and so we're a whole, like, season removed from Chapel's love, and... They're um, from Chapel, you know, like losing her fiance fresh, mm-hmm. <laughs> freshly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's, I I don't know. So everyone loves Spock, obviously. And I think it's really cool. I don't know how to say it. Like, I think Chapel is such a sweet and considerate person that, if there was someone else sick like in her uh, sick bay or if there was someone else injured or I, can't, I don't know how to not say sick in the sick bay. Um,
0: anyway, <laughs> Ill in sick bay? Yeah if, there was,
1: <laughs> yeah. if there's someone in sick bay who's one of her patients, I feel like she is the type of person who would go above and beyond to yes. make them feel better. And especially because like I imagine on the enterprise as a doctor or a nurse, you're not treating people all of the time. Like, there's right. a lot of downtime. McCoy's always on the bridge for a reason. Yeah. Um, it's because there's not much to do unless, right. like, there's heavy casualties for some reason. Yeah. Um, and so, Chapel definitely has that time to invest in her patients. And I think she is one of the only people who notices what's going on with Spock. And Besides McCoy. Besides but... McCoy, yeah. Yeah. Um, Kirk isn't really... I mean, he's, like, kind of noticing, but um like most of his other crewmates are just not him paying him any attention and so i think it's amazing that chapel goes out of her way to make the soup poor spock and his ponfar it just throws it at her and it's really sad (laughs) i know and like it is nice though because he does apologize to her later and he they do have this scene where like she comes in to check on him essentially and he's like you know feigning sleep or just not not sleeping or whatever and so he notices she's there and they have this discussion about her love for him and it's very painful you Mm -hmm. know because she knows that this is like i think that she knows on some level this is never going to happen you know and so she keeps it as close to her chest as she can but she's kind of obvious about her love for spock and spock being as insightful as he is could definitely tell But I think that, like, they do have a good discussion about it, you know, and um, not necessarily clearing the air because Spock is too, like, in the Ponfar haze, (laughs) he's you know, to to really uh, be able to actually have a good discussion with her about it, but it still allows her, I think, to have a little bit of understanding that, like, this isn't Spock being in love with me, this is Spock going through whatever he's going through, you know, and so... I think it is though a little devastating when they're on the bridge and he says that is to Pring, my wife, you know, and you can see Chapel's Ooh. face just fall. Yeah. Yeah, like not only not only is he not interested in me, but he has a wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ouch. <laughs> yeah. That's that one's got to hurt. Chapel just can't get a break. No, she she can't. And like I think that Ugh, yeah it's just frustrating for her obviously um but i don't know i think that like they do and like he, at the end of that scene in when they're talking in spock's quarters spock does say like would you mind making me some of that plumique soup you know as sort of a olive branch and she does you know and i think in a way he he should just shut her down completely and say like this is never going to happen and i think that is spock's fault in a way you know that keeping her sort of on this tether um but i think eventually she figures it out obviously she yeah. she goes on to be her own md and all of this stuff so yeah i feel yeah. like she really thrives once she gives up on spock um but also that's because the times are changing like you know as we get into the movies and everything so yeah I'm just happy for her. I'm happy that she, we assume, eventually finds happiness. I feel like in the movies we just get, like, random cameos with her. Um, Yeah, she doesn't get any sort of (laughs) actual time. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately. It's rough.
0: Um, Yeah,
1: and I I know that we're going to talk about this when we talk about Ahura, but I do want to mention the scene in The Changeling where she does have to literally re-educate Ahura from... Like, scratch, essentially. Like, she has to teach her how to read. And, like you were talking about, just her unending care and patience for her patients is amazing. And it's absolutely so beautiful in this scene. This has always been one of my favorite chapel moments is when she is like, Good job, Lieutenant. Like, good job, Uhura. You're doing amazing. You know, when Uhura gets the sentence right or whatever, she's like, Sound it out. You know, and it's just incredible to see her capacity for love and patience for people. And How, like, you're right, she will go above and beyond for the people she cares for. Yeah, I love that scene, too. It's so sweet. Yeah. I also want to take this moment to kind of reintroduce something that I know we talked about a long time ago in the pilot series, and that is the Brechtel test. Um, Yes. And so, essentially, uh, that is a test that you can put onto TV shows or movies or really any kind of media. And the criteria for passing the Brechtel test is that at least two women are featured, that these women talk to each other
0: (laughs) and (laughs) that
1: they discuss something other than a man. And I, so like the changeling does pass that test barely because they're like re-educating, you know, she's re-educating a um, but I don't think there are very many Star Trek episodes in the original series that actually pass this test. Um, even in I think later episodes I like later series I don't know how many pass this test so it's something that we're going to be talking about a lot so I just want to like mention it now I've seen other requirements say that they have to be talking for longer than five minutes and they Uh. would like fail um that would oh easily cause like a lot more shows to fail Um, yes but yeah I just want to bring that up right now Uh, And I would love to move on to another female. Guess what? There's another um, (laughs) who's on the enterprise and that is Janice Rand. Yes. I really think that Rand is such an underrated character in the original series. And essentially her role is a glorified secretary the yeomans of the ship are the ones who just like go and get signatures from the captain and go and get coffee sometimes even like it's kind of ridiculous like you can get your own coffee from the replicator gym you don't have to go and ask yeoman to do it for you Um, i know he's a busy man but come on (laughs) it's essentially a way for women to fill another female type role which is the secretary role similar to uhura i have to say like as communication officer she's answering phones essentially you know and so a lot of these are just glorified like female tropes (laughs) or female role or female like tropey jobs essentially but i did read an article um that Gene uh, that says that Gene Roddenberry later apologized for giving into the pressure for the network to let Whitney go, which is the, uh, Whitney's the person who plays Janice Gracely Rand. Lee Whitney. Yes. Thank you. Grace Lee Whitney. Um, even going so far to say that writing Janice Rand off was quote, the dumbest mistake he had ever made. Well, you know, I, there's a little bit of background as to why the studio wanted to let her go in the first place. And it's like a little heartbreaking. She was sexually assaulted by Mm. a crew member or a staff member on the set of Star Trek and she reported it and she didn't say who it was, but she said that this happened and um, it's not okay. And, you know, she essentially was asking to have that person removed from Star Trek and instead she was removed. Um, (sighs) And so it, I, I, Rihanna and I didn't really want to talk about the man trap in the scene, you know, where, Mm -hmm. um, uh, she's cornered by uh, evil Kirk, but like, it's even more horrifying that that happened. Uh, they like had that scene happen and it mirrors Mm. her situation so closely. Um, and so I think it's really, um, big of Roddenberry to say that he Wished, you know, that it was a huge mistake to let her go because it damn well was a huge mistake to let her go. Absolutely, and to silence her essentially on this issue. I really think that the character of Rand brings a lot to the show, even though she has these small little parts. She gets this other side of Kirk out that we don't see very often, and even everyone everyone she interacts with, she brings this new side of them. Specifically, we watched Charlie X to talk about Rand, and mm-hmm. I mean, in that one, it's again she's kind of reduced to a love interest, um, and Charlie comes on board. He's this uh, boy who's seventeen, and I'm just gonna say it right now: all of these children, quote unquote, that are on Star Trek look like they're forty years old. Like, <laughs> yeah, this, Charlie's like a thirty-year-old man. This, There's no way, this is not a child. <laughs> <laughs> There's something weird about that. Like, even in the Twilight Zone, all the kids look really creepy, and I don't know if it's it's the up or what's happening. Yeah, or perhaps they just didn't want to hire child actors or something. I don't know. It's weird. Charlie is weird. No offense to Charlie because he's, like, magical, but he has these abilities. (laughs) No, he's very weird. (laughs) I I agree. Um, But he sees Rand and instantly he's taken with her. I also want to say this is the first woman he's ever seen. He has a son Goku moment in Dragon Ball where like uh, uh, kind of similar situations a little because Charlie, like Goku in Dragon Ball, um, grew up only around men and never saw any other gender. And uh, both are very surprised when they realize, oh, this is a woman. I don't know what that is um, right. I didn't know there was like other genders what is woman yeah <laughs> it, yeah exactly he looks Charlie looks at the transporter engineer and is like um, is that a woman or is that a girl no, he says it's a girl, is that a girl? Yeah. which is even and worse. Kirk says that's a girl yeah, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> that is one of my biggest pet peeves in general is when um, women are girls far longer than men or men or boys Yeah, it's the the, the you know what out of me, but Um, really quick, Ashlyn, I just pulled up an article from the Mary Sue, Mm -hmm. and they did a Brechtel score for each of the Star Trek series. You want to hear TOS's percentage? No. Is it like one? 7.5. Okay, Mm 7.5. 7.5. And so you know what? 0% of season one passed. Yeah, okay. And less than 10% of season two, and then about 15% of season three passed. Okay. So, pretty awful, if we're thinking about it. The season one did not pass at all. At least, you know, we have season twos, I think because of Amok Time, you know, episodes like that. But, still bad. Anyway, I just wanted to give you a a number range, so you all can understand just how dire (laughs) we needed more female representation in TOS. Yeah, I... I mean, the bar's so low. The bar's on the ground. And so I'm yeah. even surprised it's seven, honestly. Yeah, like, same. i okay, that's good. Yeah, and I know that people are going to make arguments about TOS being, you know, well, it was a product of the era. And to that I say, you can always do better, you know? And that, like, I think that Ron Berry had an amazing vision. The fact that he hired Nichelle was an incredible feat. The fact that there are as many women as they are, sure, that's great. But, like, the fact that that is, like, an excuse for some people kind of irritates me because like yes it was a product of the time but like things can always have been done better and a lot of this stuff like with what happened with Whitney could have been handled a million times better and it wasn't because it was a male-dominated society that often doesn't believe women well I think I mean yeah I'm with you Rhiannon. it can always be done better but I think that especially back then there were like systematic things that were preventing women from being included absolutely everything and so Mm -hmm. and societal pressures uh yeah so i yeah we all everyone could have done better but i yeah yeah, just just a reminder this is what we have yeah exactly so anyway back to charlie and his shenanigans um the scene that i find fascinating and a little bit terrifying is when he sees the two engineers or whatever one of one of the guys like smacks his other friend on the butt and um is sort of just like Hey, man, see you later. See you in the mess hall, which I think is hilarious. Like, we do see this a lot in football. Like, when I was little, I would be like, Dad, why are they all smacking each other's butts? And he's like, it's just a form of affection. And But when it's done to a woman, of course, it's like, it's sexual harassment. And um I mean, I also think it's kind of sexual harassment when it's It should done be to either way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is the thing. It's like, this weird double standard. Your booty is your booty. And if you don't want someone touching it, you, they shouldn't touch they it. They shouldn't touch it. Yeah. Yeah regardless of your sex I, there exactly. is like a sport culture but i feel like even in sports you're allowed to not let yeah. them, you know like that so you should be able to say no yeah and so but we do have this scene where charlie sees that between the two men and then as he's saying goodbye to Rand, he smacks her butt and she of course is like what in the world like oh my god charlie you cannot do that and um, it's funny because they can't even really say butt on television or ass or any of those words, you know. And so she literally, her line is like, Charlie, you just don't go around slapping girls on the... And then she just fades off. I'm like, okay, you can't even say butt, but I understand. Um, and so then he, she's trying to explain to him why. Because he's like, why? Like, I saw them do it, you know, whatever. Um, and she's like, go talk to the captain about this. And I kind of like this because I think that it shouldn't be on her to have to explain it to him and that like sadly he might understand it more coming from a man you know this is exactly what I thought too is that it's a good move for her and it takes the pressure off of her having to explain like so many reasons why you shouldn't just touch other people's bodies uh yeah I love that and I and I'll let you finish in a second um yeah said Kanye West um, um, <laughs> but I also just want to say, like, the whole theme of the episode, kind of the background theme, is that Kirk does not want to be the father figure for Charlie. And everyone's yes. making him the, fa- the father figure um, because, you know, Kirk is trying to put on McCoy, like, McCoy, you have to educate him about all this stuff. And McCoy's like, nope. No, <laughs> it's not, not in my job description. <laughs> not doing that. And so I think it's funny that she puts it, I mean, it's funny and it's great that she puts it back on Kirk to say, look, you're the captain, so this is yeah. your job. <laughs> I mean, frankly, like, a lot of times captains do have to take on duties they don't necessarily want, and so Kirk has to sort of learn this in, this in this episode, but I do not like Kirk's explanation or lack thereof. Like, it's truly the poorest explanation I've ever heard of someone trying to explain why not to hit a woman on the, on the butt. You know, I think that, like, he says, there's no right way to hit a woman, which how do we even unpack this how like <laughs> where do you even go who wrote this <laughs> like i just obviously okay he's right there's no right way to hit a woman but instead you should have said you do not hit a woman that or is, yeah the wording like, is awful <laughs> it's just bad because it makes it seem like in the right circumstances there is a right way to hit a woman or like i don't or, or it's like oh yeah with society there's no right way to hit a woman it's you, you also, know Rihanna, it's you said who wrote this you know who wrote this Who? D.C. Fontana. No! (laughs) Dorothy, please! I mean, also, you know, like, it is interesting to see which episode she did end up writing or collaborating on, you know, but, um, I mean, okay, I do like the fact that they're bringing this up at all, let's put it this way, like, that is really cool that they're even talking about this in this era, um, way before Me Too, way before any of this was discussed, and it's important but kirk's explanation is complete garbage (laughs) yeah i i mean obviously it's the time and that's why it's terrible but also i think kirk genuinely would be terrible at explaining this even if this was in 2009 and we had a more modern kirk if we see him on strange new worlds he he's never going to be able to easily explain puberty to anyone i think that is something that is awkward for a lot of people to talk about Mm -hmm. um And so I do give him a little bit of credit that that's really not his character. It's Mm -hmm. not McCoy's character either. No. Um, I think Spock would do the best job describing it, but also he's not a human, and puberty is different for Vulcans. Very different. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Um, Yeah. Oh, absolutely. very different. And so I don't know if there's anyone well-equipped on this ship to talk about puberty. Maybe Chapel, but again, like she, I don't know if Charlie would take her seriously because she's a woman also. Yeah. So Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I think you're Maybe right. Chekhov, there's check off, honestly. Like, yeah! kind of like kid to kid. I mean, he wasn't in this sadly. I know, yet, yeah, check off wasn't yeah. in the show yet. Yeah, I, I agree, Ashlyn. I think that, like, there was there wasn't very good alternatives for him to talk to anyone um but just the fact that kirk can't even come up with a good reason why he shouldn't have done that is yeah it's bad gross yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but also it's because kirk has probably done that like if you think about his reputation if you think about the way that he's like literally hitting on like women that he should definitely not be hitting on and a lot of these episodes um not good, not good, you know? And so obviously he's not a good role model when it comes to, like, respecting women (laughs) and all of this. I actually wonder if he is just mirroring a conversation that was once had with him from another Mm. man, you know, where he made that kind of mistake or did something inappropriate towards a woman. And then he also got this, like, lame duck explanation of why you shouldn't. And so it could just be that this is a, uh, this is just what's passed down, you know, is, like, not good, respectful education <laughs> it's true I mean this is a very good point I'm really glad to bring this up because women are taught to dress appropriately and to behave in a certain way that won't make men do this kind of stuff where it should really be the opposite men should be taught not to do this kind of stuff in the first place especially if you're going to give women the type of outfits that they're wearing in the original series there's this great the guy who does honest trailers he literally calls the original series a miniskirt boys club and that's like the best definition of this kind of track that i've heard because like truly even i have an Ahura dress and like It's very, very, very short, (laughs) you know, like I feel a tiny bit uncomfortable in it. I, of course, love wearing that dress from the TOS era, but like thinking about how all these women had to wear such short dresses and that's regulation is wild to me. And so like, of course, they can't dress differently and can't sort of like, quote, unquote, invite that, you know, it's just it's ridiculous. And so I think you're right. It's about educating the men. And obviously, Charlie has been alone on a planet with no women by himself no men, even just these weird entities giving him powers for seventeen years, yeah, it's essentially, true. yeah, yeah, it's problematic, <laughs> it's a problem
0: <laughs> <laughs> well um,
1: back, yeah let's let's shift our focus back to Rand a little bit mm-hmm. um it I just wish she had more like just episodes and more character moments. I wish we knew literally anything about her. We yeah. don't even know. At least she has a first name. That's huge. True. Yeah. Janice. Janice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was young, though, I remember I called her yeoman for years because I thought that was her name. Yeah. <laughs> like... I didn't know what the term yeoman meant. Rihanna, it was same. We both did that. The few things that we do know about Rand is that she likes Kirk. And I don't think it's quite as much of a hidden passion like Chapel has for Spock. Yeah. But I think, given the right circumstances, she would definitely, like, be all in with going yeah. with Kirk. I don't even think it's, like, a, you know, she wants a long-term relationship with him. I think she wants to bang him. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. <laughs> we see that a little bit in the episode Mirai. Um, Miri. At Miri, where uh, she, it's, I think it's, like, kind of a, like, a secret, sort of, but everyone can tell type of thing. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, again, I'm just wishing that she existed for a purpose other than to literally, like, serve him, kind of. Literally, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, and there's an interesting scene where, because Charlie, in in Charlie X, where Charlie is really starting to, like, pursue Rand in this more dangerous way, and he's, like, obviously he's underage, and so Rand is not interested, and I don't think she would be in general because of the way he's acting, but... Janice goes goes to Kirk with her concerns and she says you have to tell Charlie to leave me alone and that she knows that look like in Charlie's eyes and this is really scary and something that like again I just am sad that Whitney had to be sort of the person who dealt with Men pursuing her that she wasn't interested in and not even pursuing, but being very almost cruel about it because she says sooner rather than later, I'll have to hurt him, you know, essentially to keep him away. And that's scary, you know, and I I think that it comes from a place that like she probably has have to do this in the past because the way she's talking about it, she's, when she says she knows that look in Charlie's eyes, like she is probably used to men pursuing her in this way that is really dicey and that she's probably had to hurt other men to keep them away from her. And that's scary. And I think that comes from a part of her profession, like being a yeoman, you know, you're you're serving quite a lot of the crew. And I think there's probably a lot of men who don't take no for an answer in this, in in like in her experience. And so I'm just sad, like you said, that she has to be sort of, the poster girl poster woman for this and the fact that Kirk doesn't really do a lot until Charlie is literally in Rand's quarters and then he ends up like vanishing her you know and then he brings her back in the end but it's still just it's just sad that she has to feel like she is in that position and I'm glad she goes to Kirk for help but I just wish he had done more and taken her more seriously I really agree and I think sometimes there's a notion that if you're really attractive and all the guys are coming up to you, or like every everyone who's interested in you is like making advances. That it's somehow a compliment, or that it's yeah. um, like a good thing. Mm-hmm. And some women, you know, like like that, and that's fine. You know, like if you sure. if you want a lot of people like coming at you, trying to get mm-hmm. you romantically, that's great. But for a lot of the women that I know who are like very traditionally attractive, like my best friend is like. one of the most gorgeous people I've ever met inside and out. And um, it was really hard for her growing up because literally there was no end to the people who were harassing her verbally um, all the time at school, all the time when we're just like shopping together at the grocery Mm -hmm. store, like not even at the mall. Um, Just like always getting yelled at, always being pursued, always having guys in her DMs and, um, you know she didn't want that and sometimes yeah sometimes it was like fun guys or guys she was interested in but the majority of them were not they were creepy people like charlie
0: mm-hmm. who
1: like <laughs> you don't want to be involved with and yeah uh so yeah i just really feel for her i really i really obviously feel for carson and i really feel for uh yeoman rand and uh all the other yeomans that had to go through that because it's not fun and yeah. it's exhausting overall You know, having to say no, having to affirm your boundaries over and over and over again for your whole life is really tiring. (laughs) Especially when, like, you shouldn't have to. And there shouldn't be this space where women feel like they constantly have to be saying no. Or even if they don't say no, people will take that as a yes instead of a no. Like, you know, it's just there's so many issues with that. And um, I just, I'm really, like glad that you know Rand was able to tell Charlie off she got a good slap in that was amazing but like Charlie is over here he's turning women into iguanas he took the woman's like face away you know and like women that he doesn't find as beautiful as Rand he will literally be so rude to you know and so I think exactly what you're saying about your friend Carson and all those stereotypically beautiful women out there like my heart goes out to you and I love and respect all of you and I'm sorry you have to go through that you know and I'm sorry for all women who have gone through this and we're here with you and the rands of the world we're here with you and um yeah so obviously Charlie's a bag, and I'm glad that they got rid of him in the end you know but um yeah, I just wish all in all that Rand got more time. I, I really do like Janice's part in the beginning where we have this beautiful scene and we'll talk about it a little bit more later with Uhura getting to scene with Spock and everything, but seeing all of them kind of relaxing in the rec room and everything is so beautiful. And I think it is really telling of, of Janice's just absolute empathy for people that she does still cry for Charlie at the end, even after all he did to her. She's still, her and Uhura are both emotional about what happened to him I mean he truly was manipulated by the, this race and you know and he had no experience with humanity and so she does feel that that she's very empathetic and I really respect that about her because it's hard being an empathetic woman you get a lot of flack for it and it's exhausting <laughs> so yeah, yeah even I felt bad for Charlie at the end of this episode and he's the type of person who like pees in his respect women Jews Um, oh god yeah so like it's hard to have any empathy for him but when you see him like pleading for his life it's kind of um whoa whoa. yeah (laughs) absolutely kind of whoa yes um i want to spend a little bit of time talking about the women who are not on our main bridge crew who aren't regular uh, characters on star trek and probably the most iconic woman of the original series is edith keeler Course is in the season one finale, City on the Edge of Forever. She is a trailblazer in more than one way, and mm-hmm. I love her. I love her so much. I've seen this episode like a thousand times, and so I feel yeah. like an Edith Keeler super fan. <laughs> Same. Especially getting to see this episode through a feminist lens was just incredible to me because I've always seen it like we talked about this episode for both our love and affection and our time travel series. And I feel like I could not talk about this episode enough. Like there's no time where I feel like it's ad nauseum. Like because there is so much to take from this episode. And to talk about all all of Edith's accomplishments, she is a business owner. She is a public she works she's a social worker she is a peacemaker, she's a visionary, she's also a like beautiful, like she's also a like still embraces her femininity and she still is interested in Kirk and has this like, you know, she's she can still be a love interest, but she's more than that. And this is something that I love so much about her and that is very different from the rest of a lot of the women that we get. In the original series is just there to serve as Kirk's love interest or as a tool for some other man's big scheme and so the fact that she is not and she still gets to fall in love with Kirk is amazing and I think that is something that's really special about her Um, she's also like not a do-gooder you know I love when she has this line because um, the one of the guys who's at the 21st mission and he turns to Spock and Kirk and he says oops he says you will be paying for this meal you're gonna hear her blather on and do her do good or speech and all of that and Kirk is like shut up shut up (laughs) I love that he's like let the let the woman speak and so she talks to them and she does her whole speech about like someday I believe that man will harness the power of the atom and that they will go into the stars and they will discover a new life and they will um you know turn away from war and towards peace. And I love later on, she says the quote, I believe that one day man will s- take all the money they spent on war and death and spend it on life, you know, oh. incredible, oh. incredible, so beautiful. And like her vision is just gorgeous, you know? And so as she's talking, of course, Kirk and Spock are like, wow, this is amazing. But the first thing she says, it's like, I'm not a do-gooder. Uh, if you are here and you are like, still addicted to the bottle or to drugs like I cannot help you in the way that like I want to essentially she, is she... so woke I love her <laughs> yes I love this because she knows that like addiction is a very complicated thing and she's not just going to come and fix you by giving you a meal or some money and she doesn't give handouts like she makes Kirk and Spock work for for their pay you know and Um, they like, you know, clean out her entire basement for her. She's essentially like, cool, I'll pay you 15 cents an hour and you do all my chores, you know, and they're helping her serve at the kitchen. And, but she's still helping them. This is the thing is like, she knows that they're like, they stole these clothes because they don't have money and that they're clearly going through something. And when she sees McCoy and how ill he looks when he comes in, she's immediately just there to help him she gives him like a room and nurses him back to health and even sort of has this really fun banter with him when he's talking about like you're probably a hallucination and um and finally he's like I've decided that you're real and she's like well that's promising <laughs> you know and like I love that because she does she doesn't take anything from people she doesn't take flack and but she respects herself but she also is so kind and so caring and will go out of her way to make sure that others are okay. And I think also there's such a stigma of homelessness and of um, mentally ill people that like people just wanna stay away from them or pretend like they're not human or just, you know, ignore the problem. And she faces it head on and she does not fear that. And I just so admire that about her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> i could talk
1: about edith healer for like 20 days straight <laughs> i mean yeah i agree 100 agree i think what makes her so endearing and likable right away is that she clearly is a real person she's yeah. not just like some 2d undeveloped character she's alive on the page and Yeah, I think that Joan Collins does a fantastic job of playing Edith Keeler. She is someone, I mean, like I said before, who stands out in all of Star Trek as one of the best, like, one episode characters of all time. Yes, I'm so glad you talked about like her interplay with Dr. McCoy too, because she's just she's so charming and she's funny too. Like on top yeah. of her being a business owner and low key, like saving the homeless population of the city, yeah. um, she has really got a personality. And I feel like to be able to deal with all of the red tape, I'm sure she's gone through to make this shelter happen. You have mm-hmm. to have some real spirit to get through that. Like you have to be really strong and uh have a lot of endurance to persevere through to in order to like make your dream happen. And also during the depression, mhm, 1930. So this is like, oh, this is so early. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. This is this is a really tough time to be a woman. And obviously during the depression, I think the depression does lend itself towards having someone like her step up and really mm-hmm. help people because At that point, obviously, I don't know what the depression was like, but it seems like it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck situation that if you have the ability to help others, you should, um, regardless of who you are. And so I feel like maybe that was a platform for her to be able to step up and secure the space for the shelter and everything. That's so true. And I think also the fact that it was still technically a caregiving role, maybe it was more seen as, like, okay that she was a woman because she was still technically, like taking care of people and like like we're talking about with nurses and you know that kind of thing where it is sort of a it lends to more of a feminine viewpoint and so that's another thing obviously she she did her own stuff and she worked this out and probably like you said went through a lot of red tape but i'm thinking that sort of lent itself to maybe them accepting it her in her role a little bit more oh totally well and What I love, too, is she's not painted in the role of a mother, really, like so many women are. She's just, she is who she is, and she makes Mm -hmm. no apologies for it, and I I love that, too. She's not saying, like, all of the homeless are my children, you know, like nothing like that. She's just like, "Uh, you guys want some soup? (laughs) Yeah, and (laughs) she's like, but I'm not gonna, like, rehabilitate you, and I'm not gonna, like, you know, I mean, you still do have to work for yourself, and you have to figure out yourself. I'm not gonna just, like give out handouts to everyone yeah you know and this is such a like very random tangent but i've been playing a lot of the spider-man game for ps4 (laughs) and i've been playing it the remastered version on ps5 it's a fantastic (laughs) game um and it takes a lot of elements of the spider-man comics and movies and just kind of creates its own story Mm -hmm. and aunt may peter's aunt spider-man's aunt Mm -hmm. it does run the local um it's called the feast shelter um but it's like the local homeless shelter and i was really getting edith keeler vibes from aunt may when i was playing this game and both of these like amazing women inspire me to do more in my community and i mean i really especially after watching city again i was like man what am i doing with my life like why am i not helping people (laughs) yeah i think i remember like us going on mission trips and i actually went to san francisco and worked in the tenderloin and that was some of the most like fulfilling work I've ever done, you know. And I think that it taught me a valuable lesson about homelessness. And I think that I had just, it, it's easier and more comfortable to ignore than it is to face head on. And the fact that Edith doesn't is just phenomenal. And I think the same thing with the future that we see that could have happened the fact that she met with the president and they created a world that was erring on the side of peace and that the U.S. was more of a pacifist state. and They didn't enter the, th- the war, yeah. Yeah, and so th- this is the thing that I always find so tragic, too, is the line that Spock says where she was the right person in the wrong time, you know? And so I just, oh, like if Edith had been born, God, 50 years later even? Or, you know, like post-World War II era she could have made so many incredible changes to society and created a like Starfleet-esque utopian world way sooner, you know, than than what we got in the real world. And so it do- it is very tragic that like she had to die before her time and that she had to die in order for the US to enter World War II when they did. And still too late in my opinion, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, so it's, of course, ultimately a tragic end for her and i am sad that like we don't get to see her live out her full life yeah well and something about you know thank you for laying out her like could have been future because mm-hmm. um, something i really picked out from that is that it's her words and her ideas that are causing a stir and it's what the homeless characters in the in the beginning of the episode don't want to hear it it's like all this weird nonsense Mm -hmm. but that is what's propelling her forward in her life and as a life-changing person Mm -hmm. and so it's it's inspiring that uh you know she believes it so much and also just a reminder to us all that one person really can make a difference i wish we had like the edith keeler alternate universe wiki page where we could just see like all the steps that she did to like (laughs) be able to like (laughs) have an ear in with the president and everything i i love her so much and she is still an inspiration to me even after 10 plus years of knowing her from this episode Yeah. And I think too, seeing her as a young kid and seeing her in this role really inspired me and lent itself to me thinking more about the world. And I love when Spock says she has fantastic foresight, you know, because she does. She really sees the future as the bright oasis it could be if we work for it and if we work hard enough. And she's not afraid to say it either. That's that's what I love too because I think often I have some of these thoughts but I'm too afraid to say it out loud because I'm someone who likes being liked and the sad reality is that at some point you have to just be who you are otherwise you're on the side of the oppressor you know in any situation and yeah if people don't like you maybe that's a good thing in some situations you know i mean it's is it eleanor roosevelt who's the quote that says well-behaved women seldom make history history? i think it is eleanor roosevelt yeah yeah i just love that quote because like yeah she's not a do-gooder she's not just handing out things she is working for it and sharing her vision it's beautiful yeah yeah (laughs) um well with that here's my graceful transition into (laughs) savik someone else who had a bright vision (laughs) yeah and also a very another very powerful woman too yes and as a quote from ashlett the only one with a clue (laughs) in the search for spock (laughs) <laughs> yeah when we were talking about what women to include in the podcast i was like she's the only one or, or i guess we were talking about like if we should even include search for spock with mm-hmm. savik but she is the literal only one who knows what's going on in the whole movie <laughs> in regards to baby spock so yeah and regards to the genesis device and, and the to the scientific yeah everything yeah. <laughs> like, she's amazing and I'm, I'm really glad we do get to talk about savik because like i mentioned earlier she is one of the first female vulcans to enter starfleet she is lucky enough to have spock the respect woman juice master as her mentor <laughs> um, but, a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's not just because of Spock that she got where she was Spock sure gave her a good mentoring and stuff but it is because of her hard work you know and like her decision to enter Starfleet I'm sure was not a popular one similar with Spock I mean yes Vulcans are in the Federation, but not a lot of Vulcans attend Starfleet because it's very human-centric. And we see this still into the movie era. There are quite a lot of humans on that ship. There are not not a lot of alien diversity. And we see Savik struggle in the very beginning even having to stick up for herself she quotes regulations and kirk gets irritated and of course then later on kirk goes keep on quoting regulation you know when he realizes that like she's valid and she she has a right to speak up for what's happening in the situation but i think that a lot of women in her place particularly someone like i am a person who does not speak up for herself very often and i regret it quite a lot but i also don't feel like i have the voice or i don't feel like my opinion is, is is important enough to speak up or i just don't like confrontation there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of things to unpack there but essentially like I admire her so greatly for that, that she is literally going to question the captain of the enterprise about doing certain procedures and stuff. And this is what Spock did. And he got like, you know, he got some flack for it, but like not as much as Savick gets. And so I like that. She just keeps doing it. She's like, yeah, anyway, like you're still breaking regulation. Even if I shouldn't be talking back to the captain, I'm still going to. Well, and that's a, a shtick that Spock does a lot, and then we see Data do it a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Um, these characters that are unafraid to question authority is really exciting to see, even if it can be viewed as disrespectful. It's mm-hmm. ultimately the right thing to do, and Kirk does later say, "Go, please go right on quoting regulation because yeah. that's exactly the right call. I think a lot of it in that scene, too, is how young she is, and I know in Wrath of Khan... Like we're starting to lean towards everyone's getting old and Kirk's having a (laughs) crisis about aging. And so it's hard to see not only just like a young person fresh out of the Academy questioning you, but also a female and a Vulcan. Like there's there's so many things going against her. I think if you're a wise captain, you would value that, you know, fresh from the Academy vibes. But Mm -hmm. um, I think Kirk is really all about uh, his elderly crew that he has with him. He has quite a lot of tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and Ashlyn, you bring up a good point because I do want to talk for a moment about being woman and Vulcan because we don't get to see this experience very often until T'Pol, which is wild to me that it took so many series for us to actually get like a a, a main character who's a Vulcan female. But the ones we get, obviously, we don't know a lot. Um, but I want to just like really shout out Savik in particular because she has to go into a very human-centric... Starfleet world, uh, you know, even the Federation heavily relies on human crew members, and all of this thing that a lot of women are seen as emotional and a lot of women are seen as more empathetic and more in touch with their emotions and Savik has to be the antithesis of that in every way and I think that it's something that's really important to remember about her is that like she's not only a Vulcan who is strict about the the teachings of Siroc and about, you know, like the purging of emotions and the relying on logic and adhering to logical values all the stuff that Vulcans you know pride themselves on she has to be a woman on top of that in a human-centric world and I think that that you know we don't really get any comments of her being like oh like you should be emotional because you're a woman but I think that she probably does face that and I think that her not standing for that and her still being herself in every way possible so admirable I just love that about her Thank you Rihanna I, man if Savik was here, she would smile. <laughs> <laughs> Who plays the OG Savik, my favorite? Um, Allie Sheedy? No. <laughs> Allie Sheedy? That's wrong. <laughs> isn't it Allie something? Oh, yeah, no. Kirstie Allie is Wrath of Khan, and then Robin Curtis is uh, Search for Spock. Yeah, and just gotta say, both of those women, phenomenal as Savik. Like, I I definitely prefer Kirstie Allie, Um. Because she was the first Savik, but like even Robin Curtis does an amazing job in Search for Spock with the very little, <laughs> that the that little she's that given. she has to do. Yeah. 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 Um, again, thank you for bringing up everything what you said about how people might be putting human values on top of Savok or like human perspectives on Savok when you mm-hmm. just can't because yeah. like she's a totally different species. I don't know enough about Vulcans to like understand if it's similar to humans that females are more emotional or i have like no idea about anybody's like genetic makeup or Mm -hmm. hormones or anything with vulcans and so i don't know like if it is harder for one gender or another to control their emotions i think even though as humans the rhetoric is that women are emotional I think the reality is that, like, I think that we've had the perspective for so long that women are more emotional and men are supposed to be really, um, you know, everything's locked in and I never Mm -hmm. cry and it's all good all the time. And then both perspectives are, like, very unhealthy. Um, And so I think that's what Spock faces, you know, Mm -hmm. is, I mean, as, as a Vulcan, you're supposed to suppress your emotion. And then also he's half human and he has the, you know, expectations to suppress his male emotions anyway. So Mm -hmm. that's rough, buddy. Um, Yeah. Anyway, Well, I saw this very profound Instagram post, which this is our world now (laughs) where it said like the biggest gaslighting that society has done has rebranded anger as not an emotion because it, they say men are non-emotional, but men tend to jump to anger before other emotions. That's certainly an emotion. You can be an emotional man when you're angry, and many of them are. And so I think that that is the like, rebranding of anger to be not an emotion is where it can get really tricky and like where those stigmas start to take form. But anyway, I just think that's interesting. I just think everyone should feel how they feel. And then we don't not get judged. For we it. don't judge each other, you know? Everyone knows yeah. being alive is hard. And if that's you have to hard. cry about it sometimes, yeah. that's okay, no matter who yeah. you are. <laughs> Literally, yeah, absolutely. And if you don't have to cry about it and you're going to be a, a Vulcan, good for you too. Yeah. What, yeah. Whatever you want. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Savik does whatever she wants, and it's all good. I just, yeah, I do love her. And I, like we said, we're not talking about Voyage Home, but I will talk about the fact that, like... She just got completely written out of the storyline as a crime, essentially because we don't get so many female Vulcans in general. and the fact that then she's just pregnant and gets like sent away is tragic. Yeah, I mean, that's a case about no money to pay her, you know. Yep. Robin <laughs> yeah. Curtis said, Oh, I know they'll have me back for Voyage Home and they said, No, we won't. Nope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Too much money. Yeah. yeah. But but it is sad. And I don't I don't know if I would have liked her going back in time in with Voyage Home, like if she sure. really had a, a place to fit in there. Yeah. But I wish we would have seen her in other movies or known how she ended up. Did she keep Spock's baby? Um, yeah, what? 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 <laughs> Whoa, guys. <laughs> Why don't we ever talk about this? I mean, yeah. and yeah, okay, yeah. For those of you who don't know, she it's never said in the film that she has Spock's baby, but I believe in the novelization, she's pregnant. And then in the movie the writers made it to, like, kind of assume that she's staying on Vulcan and abandoning her, like, prestigious Starfleet career because she is pregnant, which also is like, oh, no. Ah, Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. Please. (laughs) Yeah. It's not great. So oh, I also just want to take a second to say – not all of these feminism episodes are going to be so sad. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I've I been thinking this too. Like, It's really difficult because we can't talk about feminism unless we talk about the hardships of being a woman, but also we want to deeply celebrate women. And so it's a really tough line, particularly in more sexist leading shows like the original series. So bear with us. TNG is going to be a whole new different celebration and we can still celebrate these amazing women in TOS, but we have to talk about the problematic parts because that's a part of feminism is dealing with the misogyny and the glass ceiling and all of that. Yeah, we have to say it. I mean, I know you guys are listeners because you know that we're going to say what needs to be said. So just keep (laughs) bearing with us and we'll make you laugh shortly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and Ashlyn, someone who actually goes towards a career in Starfleet, is Jayla from Star Trek Beyond. And I think she is essential to talk about for many reasons. The first being, she's not a love interest. Yeah, she's not a love interest. This is, I think, yeah, for the first time in forever, folks. Except for maybe Lily, but she kind of is. Yeah, she's not. Jayla's awesome because she literally beats to her own drum um Mm -hmm. she lives (laughs) in the best house of all time i know we just talked about her a couple weeks ago on beyond so you know we won't repeat ourselves too much but jayla is another character to me that really stands out amongst all of the series of star trek because she's someone who is also really fleshed out she's really charming she's really smart she's great at fighting what can't she do Jayla's amazing. She's been alone on this planet for a long time. And she's not just like depressed, like how I would be. Mm -hmm. Um, She's actively like trying to fight for a future for herself and to get this ship working and to get off this freaking planet and go home. And all her family's dead. I mean, she's had like an unspeakable past. You know, Mm -hmm. like an incredibly traumatic past. And the fact that she's so open to accepting new friends and uh, accepting help and then by turn helping them to escape the planet Mm -hmm. is so awesome. And I just love her. I wish I could be friends with Jayla. Same. And I think it's important to note too that while she's all these like Incredible traits that Ashlyn just said. She also is scared and okay, and she cries, and that's okay, you know. And I think that this is also really important: is that she still is dealing with the loss of her family and is dealing with the trauma of having to, like, they're pretty much asking her to go back to where she was most afraid when she was a child and to to face crawls drones and face that awful man who. Led all of her family to their death, you know, and she flat-out refused at first She's like I am NOT going back there and that is so valid, you know, and I think that You know a lot of women are seen as like oh they're only a strong woman if they push through their trauma and they like you know do all this stuff and they never cry and they never break no women can break and cry and still push through their trauma (laughs) you know like that you can have someone to do both and i think jayla does that beautifully and she still faces those fears but admits that she's afraid and we just don't get to see that a lot i don't know i think that she gets sort of that both sides of the coin which is really cool i agree Man, yeah. I love her. <laughs> She's just awesome. She's just so cool. And I'm really glad that she then decided to join Starfleet. And I love it. She's like, do I have to wear that uniform? And he's like, yeah, sorry. You know, or like all this stuff. And but um, she gets to like explore her new life in Starfleet and with her new friends. And it's just, I'm so proud of her. She's doing amazing things. So far in this episode and so far in all of the movies, there have been no closure for any of these women we have no idea where they are now with the exception of maybe chapel all of the random women from the movies we never see again and i'm just throwing it out there if jayla appears literally anywhere if she's in the next movie even just mentioned i will throw a jayla party like i will cosplay for that movie if i see her in the trailer you know i love jayla and i feel like she deserves to have more of a storyline I mean, I, I would I would even love like in Picard season two, they're like back in time. I don't I don't know I don't know. Maybe Picard's <laughs> like reading a textbook and he's like, oh yes, J-La went on to create the trans warp fusion device. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I'm I'm so here for that. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm down for anything, frankly. Well, and we want to mention really quick, because you might be wondering why we're not talking about people like Carol and Amanda. And these are incredible women. And yes, like we want to highlight mothers, but we will be talking about different mothers in our next series. And we did talk about them extensively in our family series. So please go and check that out. There's an entire like segment where we talk about Journey to Babel with Amanda, and we talk about Amanda and Discovery and Carol, we get to talk about a lot in our movie series. so. I'm sorry that we can't talk about these amazing mothers, but we did cover them quite a lot in the family series. And just know that like mothers can be feminist too. And like you can be very feminine and you can have children and really want to have children and that's okay. And also... You cannot want children and not want to have kids. And that's okay as well. And this is something that DC Fontana taught us in Friday's Child. Yes, Rihanna, man, that transition was golden. <laughs> I feel like that was smooth. <laughs> A. I could tell your like, heart was beating. You're like, here we go. I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, D.C. Fontana, Dorothy Catherine Fontana is her full name. She is one of the few female writers that was able to participate on Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry got to know a lot of people on the show he worked on previously, which was called The Lieutenant. That's where uh, he met Nichelle Nichols. I believe like pretty much everyone who's in the main cast was like guest starring on the Lieutenant. That was Jean Runbury's baby. And she also was a writer on that show. And so after it was canceled, Jean Roddenberry said, hey, all of your episodes are awesome. Come write for me. And so she did. You might Amazing. notice that she's only in the first two seasons of Star Trek. And you also might notice that the third season is low-key terrible. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> went downhill after that. Yeah. yeah, but she did later join up and she wrote some animated series. She wrote a lot of animated series episodes. And so she's a trailblazer in her own right because yeah, just not a lot of women were writing. I think that in this time it's easier and also it's still hard but I think it's easier to further your career if your face isn't on something you know and this is why she went by DC Fontana was because people wouldn't know her gender Mm -hmm. um, based off of that name and it's a little bit easier to submit a script like randomly to a company if you don't know the gender of someone. And so I think that was her tool that she used. And during season three of Star Trek, when she was gone, she left to pursue some freelance writing and she was very successful. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's awesome. Some of her best known episodes. So she wrote 10 episodes in season one and two. Okay. Yeah. So in the original series, she wrote... Um, Charlie X, Tomorrow is Yesterday, This Side of Paradise, Friday's Child, Journey to Babel by Any Other Name, Ultimate Computer, Enterprise Incident, That's What Survives, Way to Eden, and Yesteryear. So, you so like some of the best Star Trek episodes, <laughs> like all the bangers, basically. She yeah. Wrote. <laughs> yeah. Um, we decided to watch Friday's Child for this, like we could have watched all those episodes. But you know, we're trying to like not have a four hour podcast for you all, even though yeah. I know a lot of people would listen to it. Brianna shared this really interesting quote. What was yeah. the quote that you read about this episode? Yeah, so this is on StarTrek.com. StarTrek.com did a really lovely article. It's called Star Trek Created Feminist Icons in Front and Behind the Camera. And so it goes through all of the feminist icons and then they talk about DC Fontana. And she says in an interview for These Are the Voyages, she says, quote, my feeling was that not all women are mommies. And that's why she wrote Friday's Child. She goes on to say in other interviews, like with uh, She Knows, Dot com. She did an interview that people were asking about Friday's Child. Like, it's kind of a controversial episode. Why did you write it? And she says, if we're not writing stories about humans, then what are we writing for, essentially? And so she wanted to write something that felt very human and felt very real. And, you know, sort of understanding that Like she said, not all women are mommies, and I really, really like this concept because I am a person who knows that she does not want to have kids. I've never really wanted to have kids, and it's something that I get questioned on all of the time when people ask me, they say, oh, maybe you're just not ready. You'll change your mind in 10 years. I won't. I just know this and I I know that I do not want to be a mother in that way. I'm very content being a cat mom and a dog mom someday, you know, and she's going think... to be a fire ant to my kids. Oh, yes. not like a fire ant. <laughs> <laughs> just stinging them all the time. <laughs> Man. I love English. What a weird rug. This language. is how I know I'm getting too old. It's like I'm using slang incorrectly. <laughs> I just Shout out to all those fire ants out there. (laughs) I mean, I can't wait to be the lesbian ant. It's so exciting. Like, this is the thing is that like, I feel very in tune with what DC is saying about this. And I'm really glad that she wrote an episode that really discusses this. And yeah, it has its drawbacks. So let's kind of talk about this a little bit because I think Friday's Child is a fascinating episode. And one, again, that I have not seen since I was... middle schooler when we were first watching the original series yeah you know this is uh, totally same this is not one that i rewatch ever um and this was one actually that my husband was watching with me he just happened to walk in while it was on and he stayed for the whole thing this episode has all of the classic moments in it it has Mm -hmm. i'm a doctor not an escalator um red shirt dies red shirt dies spock says logical out the wazoo it's such a like classic star trek episode but one that is really kind of left on the fringes um yeah. i only bring up danny because he was like cracking up at mccoy and awesome <laughs> and whenever I a red shirt died he cheered which you know <laughs> don't we all <laughs> yeah it happens <laughs> yeah. so there's a really interesting system like a uh, gender system going on in this culture and we find out that ellian Ian, sorry, she is the female who is pregnant in this. She is the wife of the Tyr who is pretty much like the tribe's man or like pretty much like the head of the tribe or head of the society essentially and so she's very highly esteemed but in the same breath she is also literally introduced as quote a young wife to give an old man a son to rule these tribes. So she is there to be Uh, like to just birth a son. And so I have many questions. What if she doesn't have a son? What if she doesn't want to have a child? Which is what we find out is the case is she did not want to get pregnant. She did not want to have a child. And so we are literally getting a story that is very common in human society, particularly in the sixties, but even more so like a lot of women would just be pretty much forced or unwilling to have children so that they could birth an heir and a son and often if they had a female daughter the daughter would get killed or sent away or you know there's so many different um cultures in the on earth that like highly revere having the having a male child and like creating a male heir, essentially. And then even when the son is born, it has more power than the literal woman who birthed him. And so we see all of these really complex systems being put into place, but are they very much mirroring human society? And so I think like, I just love the fact that Fontana wrote this episode as, as a show of her being reluctant to fall into this role. Elian, the character, she understands that this is not the life that I want, but it is the life that is given to me and it is a part of our customs. So even when her husband, the tear, dies and then the guy who killed him takes his place, she is ready to die because that is in the custom and she gets to choose how she dies, but like she still is going to be killed because her husband is killed and she just accepts it, you know? And so like, there's just a lot of really interesting things going on. You can't touch a woman in their culture or you will have to fight the man in combat. Or if you, if a woman offers you fruit and you take it, you're going to have to fight someone. So it's a very (laughs) like battle heavy culture. And it's also like, I, I do like the fact that women can't be touched in, in, unless you want to, like, fight someone. That's great, you know? Like, it does create a lot of, like, good rights for women, but it also, like, is sexist in the same breath. It's really interesting. Yeah, because it creates... It, like, forces people to view women as an object even more, yeah. you know, as, as if they're, like, some, like, prized treasure. Yeah, like a museum. Have. Don't touch the yeah. artifacts. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm glad we're talking about kind of, like, this clan culture about uh she's like only there to like birth the child Mm -hmm. we like right now in society and i think probably for the past i don't know 60 70 years is the first time in humanity's existence that our survival does not depend upon women giving birth and like creating more humans you know so Mm -hmm. we can keep moving forward early humans even in like feudal societies you go on and on and on their infant mortality rate was so high that um, people had to have, like, 10 children and hope that even one survived into adulthood um, to even, like, begin replacing the population, not to mention increasing it. Mm -hmm. And so we're in a really, like, new era of humanity where we have a choice if we want to have children and, you know, continue our genes down. And... (laughs) It's very, I think, you know, Rihanna, I think a lot of the reason that people oppose you and why so many people are opposed to young women saying they don't want to have children is because that's the way it's been done for literally our entire time on earth. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what's natural, quote unquote, is like you have the baby. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so, you know, it's tale as old as time. Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: something that's like really inherent to humanity. But I'm really glad that this episode exists because even in an era like the 60s, it still would be very frowned upon to say that you don't want children. And I'm sure a lot of those people were closeted lesbians who, mm-hmm. um, like, didn't, it's because they didn't want to, like, get married with a man. So, you no. know, you're putting up whatever fronts you can to get out of yeah. that. But yeah, it's so interesting. And Elian, I actually really like her as a character. Yeah. She comes off as, um, extremely rude i think at first Mm -hmm. because but i think it's also just a cultural misunderstanding you know kirk and mccoy especially mccoy is trying to touch her because he has to help her with the baby and she's just like throwing him off like she hit him like three times yeah exactly And um, I think she's really fiery and like a really powerful person. And she knows that she is too. Even though she's Mm -hmm. ready to die, she's extremely confident in herself. And I really love that about her. Absolutely. And I think too, the fact that I really love that Kirk can't touch her. Like, this is something that, like, gives me, like, a sort of satisfaction, is that Kirk isn't, like, because that's his sort of go-to move, is, like, oh, the way to pacify the woman is to, like, stroke her arms and, like, kiss her and, like, I'll just, like, make her fall in love with me and then, like, it'll be fine. But she will not stand for that. I mean, literally, it's, like, she would rather burn her arm than have someone help her and touch her, you know? Like, when that guy tripped her, which was awful. Like, don't trip a pregnant lady, what's wrong with you? Kirk went to go and help her and she like threw him off I think that the fact that Kirk is put in this position where he can't be like the womanizer is so fun to me and I love the fact that like she's he's literally not allowed to and like even when they're trying to help her up this rock and that's when McCoy does his famous I'm a doctor not an escalator she will only let McCoy touch her you know and I just love she's like only McCoy (laughs) you know cuz like once he finally got through to her and he actually had to slap her in order for her to finally like let her touch her which I think is crazy she slapped him like three times and so he just smacked her back i was like jesus this is crazy but like she finally realized oh you're doing it to like make sure i can have this baby okay and like you're a doctor and you're not here like being culturally insensitive and it helps that mccoy knew the culture going into this like he had studied this culture for about six months and lived with them and all of that so he knew the customs down to the letter you know he's told kirk and spock about his great study abroad he did 10 years ago (laughs) you know So finally, he's getting the chance to show off all his knowledge. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I really do like her interactions with McCoy in this because there is a sort of respect that comes from them. And the thing that just really confuses me, though, and it's, like, just cracks me up, is the fact that McCoy thinks that if he just tells her three times that you want this baby, she's gonna want this baby. Like, he's so shocked by the fact that, like, he's like, but I even told her. I said, close your eyes and envision this is my baby and then she turns she's like McCoy this is your baby and he's like no 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 wait no like that's not what I meant (laughs) you know and then that's when the whole misunderstanding it's just so funny like that dynamic is really funny but it's also just so narrow-minded of him to think that like he can just tell her that she wants it and then she'll want it because her quote-unquote maternal instincts will kick in or whatever well I was just gonna say that that's the assumption is all women once they give birth turn into like mother bears you know where they will fight for their cub and yeah like (laughs) they're i mean it's true like the hormones are real Mm -hmm. and that stuff happens but also you could have like really awful postpartum depression postpartum depression is extremely common and literally like never talked about Mm -hmm. where you are rendered unable to take care of the child because of Mm -hmm. like your emotions are crazy because you just gave birth and your hormones are all over the place um I know like our grandma, when she had all three of her children, she had very severe postpartum depression and like just extremely anxious. She thought all of them were about to die, mm-hmm. just couldn't do anything, you know, having trouble breastfeeding. And this is extremely common, but it's yeah. never talked about. And in this case, Elian just straight up didn't want the baby. Yeah. I mean, she once she gives birth, she's even like leaving it around. She like leaves it in oh, yeah. the cave and like runs away. Yeah. I I can't blame her for this. She was forced into this situation. Her husband is dead and mm-hmm. she if she's not going to die, she wants to live her own life. Yeah. Also, it's just so incredible to see her traversing these crazy rocks when she's, like, just about to give birth. I know, it's amazing, yeah. Incredible. Like, our stepmom hiked a 14er when she was pregnant, and that is, like, one of the coolest things. Like, I respect her so much. I mean, obviously, in general, but, like, that's just amazing, I you know? she's like, seven months pregnant or something, too. Like, very yeah. pregnant, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, like, interesting because she does have this rhetoric of the child belongs to the husband, she says, you know? And this is what her culture has raised her to think, and, and she can't even... She doesn't even want the child, I think, first of all, because she doesn't want it. Second of all, because the child is not even going to belong to her once it's born. And that's just horrible, you know, like that, like, you can carry a child for nine months or however long the uh, gestation period is for this uh, race Mm -hmm. and still not have it be yours. And that's very common for a lot of cultures or was back on Earth, you know. Back on good old Earth. (laughs) 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 She knocks McCoy out, flees. She's like... Heck no, I'm getting out of here. Um, And McCoy is like, dang, I really thought she'd learn to want it, you know? (laughs) But And then Spock says to him, virtue is a relative term. And I love that. Again, Spock drinking his juice saying, you think she would really want it because that's your own humanistic point of view on motherhood. And like, that is just not the case for everyone. And virtue is relative. And so her virtue was the fact that she didn't want it. And then the fact that like she was sticking up for herself and being a confident woman Regardless of being very pregnant and you know all this stuff so it's just oh, it's so interesting. I think Spock really understands her because he too doesn't want kids. Um, yeah you can see at the end McCoy gives Spock the baby to hold <laughs> and he just goes like I, I, I would I would rather not and literally. <laughs> Do you see how Elian is holding the baby? She's like like <laughs> holding it by like its stomach and like its head is flopping or whatever. And You know, like, and that's why I think it's so funny when people are like, that your maternal instincts will kick in, you know? And I'm like, some people don't have a maternal bone in their body and that's totally fine. Even people who are mothers still don't have maternal instincts, you know? Like, yeah. that's just not something that always comes with the territory. It's a hoax, people. Like, mm-hmm. it can happen, but it doesn't happen to everyone. hmm yeah, exactly. So, um, unfortunately, we see that she still is then forced into this role at the end of the episode. She isn't killed, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the the whole side plot with the Klingon gets resolved. And the whole, like, awful man who killed her husband is killed and all of this <laughs> stuff. But she is, she becomes, we find out, the queen regent of the baby that she named Leonard James. <laughs> Um, and then her last name which i forgot but Takar, something like that yeah Yeah. oh my gosh which is so funny because then spock is like you two are going to be insufferable for months (laughs) (laughs) about this um but yeah we find out that she you know is sort of queen regent essentially so she gets to rule for a while until her baby boy is old enough to rule for himself i guess but Um, It does suck that she does get put into this motherhood role, but I am glad that we still get someone who gets to advocate against it. Well, and hopefully since she's Queen Regent, she can just have someone else take care of the baby, you know? So she she doesn't have to to deal with it. She's probably got enough servants and stuff. Exactly. Well, Rihanna, I think it's time. I'm so excited. We get to talk about our final character. Can you guys guess who it is? (laughs) I wonder, such a mystery. <laughs> well, I mean, in the original series, she had no first name, but oh. now she does. It's Nyota Ahura. Woo woo! We are talking about the magnificent Nichelle Nichols. And, Ashlyn, can you give us a little bit of background on Nichelle and how she ended up joining Star Trek? Yes. Um, I want to first recommend uh, Nichelle Nichols' autobiography, which is called Beyond a Hura. It's a fascinating and inspiring read. She's a wonderful storyteller, and uh, she has had a really insane life. Um, Nichelle Nichols is a triple threat, so she can sing, she can dance, she can act. Um, She entered, I believe I've told this story on the pod before, but I'll just uh, go into it again. So as a young girl, she trained as a dancer, as a ballet dancer, and she was accepted into extremely prestigious dance companies under the assumption that she was 18. And she would go (laughs) into like some of these auditions and... Like, you know, wear clothes that were more mature, even though she was only fourteen, because she knew that she had the talent, and her parents, especially her mother, were saying, "You have to go out for it." You know, like this is this is how you're gonna make money with your life. And so she, like, even before Star Trek, she actually toured with Duke Ellington. Um, What? (laughs) Yeah. So she uh, was a singer with the Duke Ellington and Lionel Hampton bands, um, which is amazing. Incredible. She was in Carmen in the Chicago Stock Company. She was in a New York production of Porgy and Bess. Uh, She, like, had a very, like, amazing musical career before she even entered the acting world. And Mm -hmm. uh, she got her big break. Oh, yeah, she was in, um, like, the James Baldwin play, Blues for Mr. Charlie, and got really good reviews for it. And then she was in, as I mentioned earlier, Gene Brownberry's show, The Lieutenant. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a great story in her autobiography about that because she had never acted on a set before. She was so used to stage productions that it's completely different. And she didn't even notice because, you know, there's when you're on a TV set, there's a light that comes from above. And it's called like you have to be in your light. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to find the one that's like lighting up your face and everything. So it looks good on camera. She had no idea what that was. And she kept cutting out her male co-star's light. (laughs) Like She would be in his light or she'd be blocking his light. Mm -hmm. And initially, like the first couple days, they were like, this woman is awful. She's being a total B, you know, (laughs) she's like taking Mm -hmm. my light. Mm
0: -hmm. And then
1: Gene Roddenberry actually was like, oh, my God, like this is your first ever TV thing. And so he kind of like taught her the ropes um, Mm -hmm. and all that. So she was, you know, (laughs) just like really, really new to it. Um, And so once it was canceled... Um, she was asked by Gene Roddenberry to be on Star Trek, and initially going into it, his pitch was that she was gonna be a feature role. And I also will say, of course, she was approached, you know, after the Cage when they mm-hmm. like were bringing on a new a new cast. Yeah, it was pitched that she was gonna like have a part in a lot of episodes, that she was gonna be a feature. And in the early episodes, you do see that she has way more lines than in later episodes. Um, Especially in the first season, she had full, like pages and pages of scripts that she was memorizing, and she was going to be a part of these episodes. And then, you know, they're doing reshoots and they're cutting. Mm -hmm. And so by the time she'd be like gathered around the TV to watch the episode with her family, pretty much nothing of her role would make it into the final cut. Mm. And of course, of course, it's because everyone's racist. (laughs) Like, it's because they don't want a black woman on TV. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) it sends the wrong message, you know, to have her, like, um, playing too much of a role. And uh, this was something that was really painful for her. And she got along with the cast for the most part, I think, because she was brought on by Jean- everybody like automatically liked her. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, well we're all Jean run approved. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> we're all in this together. Um, but I know it was absolutely heartbreaking for her to watch this happen week after week where she gets her hopes up and she has these lines and then she gets the new revision of the script and there's no lines, you know? Mm. Um, And I just can't imagine what that is like. By the end of season two, she was not going to continue with season three and she was going to leave. And this is a very famous story, but she actually ran into Martin Luther King and uh, he praised her for everything that she was doing on Star Trek. She said that she was going to leave and he was like, no, (laughs) you cannot leave. Like Mm -hmm. you have to stay because you are a icon for other black girls who are watching the screen I mean this is exactly why Whoopi Goldberg is in Star Trek and why Whoopi Goldberg became an actor was because she saw Nichelle Nichols and said that ain't no maid like there's a black woman on the screen and she isn't a maid like amazing amazing yeah like literally trailblazing and like so many women and especially black women who are the first to do something like it's so hard and so painful and so I just feel for her so much, and um, you know, eventually, you know, she she has her parts in the movies and everything. I also just want to take a moment to say that right now, Nichelle Nichols is still alive. She's one of the few remaining cast members of the original mm-hmm. series, and she's actually like being a victim of elder abuse, which is I think made famous by the Britney Spears case, where mm-hmm. um, Britney Spears was being completely controlled by her father because she had a mental illness that he's basically said rendered her incapable of taking care of herself it's a similar situation with nishan nichols obviously not exactly the same but she is being completely controlled by her son and has no autonomy to anything that happens to her all of her fan appearances letters phone calls are being Mm. controlled by him and this is something that is widespread and not talked about enough and so you all were here for Free Brittany. Like, I urge you to get on the Free Nichelle Nichols train as well and yes. continue to post that story when you hear about it. It's heartbreaking. And, you know, as an actor who has done so much for Star Trek and so much yeah. for diversity and inclusion, it's just, again, so heartbreaking that her life has to continue to be a struggle, you know? Yeah, Ooh, thank you for saying this, Ashlyn. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> oh, it's so it's hard. Like, it's hard for me to like talk about. Oh, yeah. It is, but it's so important to talk about. And we got so lucky to see Nichelle Nichols at Starfest one year. Ashlyn and I got pictures with her, and I got to hear her story about her meeting Martin Luther King Jr. Because she confessed to him. She's like, Dr. King, I just don't think I can keep being on this show. Like, They keep cutting my parts. They keep... like." you know, just pretty much cutting me out of all of the stories. And he essentially is like, like, I understand, you know, but you're still a symbol of hope, you know? And I think that as painful as it is to be cut from these parts, like, it's still a step. And I hate that she had to be one of the steps to make other things possible because, like, obviously I want her to be, like, <laughs> the front and center of, like, every single episode. Um, but the fact that she was in here and she gets especially in these early season episodes and in the animated series she gets more time i'm just infinitely grateful that we have a character like uhura particularly because like you were saying earlier she has not diminished to a love interest and she's also not diminished to like a lot of the sort of uh toxic stereotypes about black women either like i do not feel from my limited white person perspective i don't really feel like there's a lot of moments where she's stereotyped in that way I don't see it either. I, yeah, um, besides her just having a smaller role. Yeah. Um, I also want to just mention, too, that Nichelle Nichols, after her Star Trek career and kind of in between all the movies, was really the face of NASA's. Uh, campaign to get people to join. She basically did like a U.S. tour <laughs> where she went to colleges Amazing. and she spoke to people about joining NASA and she was really the face of that campaign. And so the reason why we have uh, like a lot of black astronauts now and uh, female astronauts is because yeah. of Michelle Nichols. Sally Mae Jemison yep. was the first black woman in space and yep. everyone always thinks about Sally Ride, but like, don't forget about Sally Mae Jemison yeah 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 exactly so not only did she make a difference amongst like the actor community and in hollywood but she made an actual real life difference in furthering our space program and just making it more acceptable for women of any shade to be in the public eye so Mm -hmm. i'm just like so amazed at her you know (laughs) yeah oh she's truly such a legend Um, So, I want to talk about one of my, almost my all-time favorite scenes that Uhura is in. And this is in Charlie X, where she gets to sing with Spock. And she gets gosh like this whole scene is about uhura and i love this we are getting a performance pretty much on the rec room an impromptu performance spock is over there just sort of like plucking away at his vulcan lyre and i believe it's rand who encourages her she's like hey like come on like do a little song for us and her is like oh god i don't know like maybe and then they're like she's like come on come on like spock's playing you might as well just start singing and she does and like like you're saying Obviously, she's a trained singer. She sounds effing amazing. Like, her voice is so beautiful. I love that she's getting to talk about, like, she's doing, like, on the Starship Enterprise. Like, she comes up with this song on the spot. She's straight up improvising. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is incredible. And I think that this scene shows her grace, her humor, and her rapport with the crew and Spock and Rand. Like, the fact that everyone gets around this in a big way, you know, they're all like, oh my god, like, I love this. We're getting a concert from Ahura. Like, I wonder if this is sort of, like, a weekly thing, or if she just like randomly just like they have you know before TNG where they all did like designated concerts they have like impromptu rec room concerts and everyone's like cracking up as she's talking about like his devil ears and devil eyes you know and like I just I think it's so fun and you see Spock even have a little smile on like he's absolutely loving this and we just get so much of her character from seeing her in those relaxed moments and I gotta say this is always some of my favorite part about television and Star Trek in general is when you get to see their downtime like I I will say this all the time about Harry Potter. I sort of love more the scenes where they're just going to classes and talking about regular life stuff because it feels so real and authentic and they're not trying to save the world every day. And I really like that this is a part that they kept in because it shows so much about Uhura and just the rapport she has with everyone. I totally agree. You really get the sense that She is someone who's spontaneous and also really brave. And she really likes doing this type of performing for me, like as a singer, nothing is more annoying than when I tell someone, Oh yeah, I'm a singer. I like, I'm a trained classical opera singer. And they say, sing something for me. I literally like, I, Oh, everyone hates that. Like all, all of my classmates, we, no one likes that. When we go home for Christmas, we know, okay, they're going to ask us to sing. Yeah. Um, because it's something that's our job and... we're already overthinking it so much and then when we go home to have to just like sing for fun oh god you know right you just want to relax yeah like I don't want to be put on stage but Ahura is not that way she gets a lot out of singing like that's how she expresses herself in the episode the changeling we see like her singing is what gets her into trouble (laughs) yeah Um, because she's like humming and singing to herself and that's when Nomad recognizes her and like zaps her memory um, yeah because he doesn't like the singing so the singing gets her into trouble sometimes. This also, like, because Charlie takes away her voice too. Yeah, Literally. Charlie takes away her voice, and then also there's an episode too where she's singing down to a guy in the engine room, and um, he gets like murdered while she's singing. So, <laughs> yeah, like the it, it's a plot that a plot point that comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, like this role was written for Nichelle because she's a singer, and so they were able to include these wonderful whimsical moments with her. And I, I mean, Rihanna texted me this, or maybe you put it on a TikTok or something, but you're right that the chemistry between Leonard Nimoy and Echel Nichols is absolutely on flambé. It's it's like, it's fire during this part. Like, um, Nimoy has that little smirk. And I also, it just really makes me think about Spock as a character because especially early like times with humans i would not expect him to be hanging out in the rec room and he's not even playing uh chess in the scene with kirk or anything no he is just on break and he has his instrument and he's just plucking away and so maybe it's something that happens regularly Mm-hmm. I can see Ahura probably, re- like, regularly sings and does performances and things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how often Spock is there for that, but I, it just warms my heart to see this side of him and that he's so easily able to express himself, and the fact that Ahura gets that so well, and they're able to improvise like that on the spot together is so awesome. Oh, it's beautiful. There's nothing like it, really. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I absolutely adore the scene. And all the times she gets to sing are just so beautiful, and... Like playing to Nichelle's strengths, which is so cool that they added this because they know she's a singer. They know that, like, she can handle this. She's got a beautiful voice. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I yeah. just love it. I really think that early TOS is the best of Ahura. We really get some amazing scenes like that with her. The other one, you know, I already mentioned the Changeling, um, where we talked about her memory is wiped and then Chapel has to re educate her. I Mm -hmm. am wondering, because, like, her mind was completely wiped blank by Nomad. Yeah. And so, she is reading, like, kindergarten, first grade level books, but, like, what about her emotional development, and, like, her memory? (laughs) And her Starfleet training? Like, wouldn't she have to be sent through Starfleet again? I know, I'm shocked by this, but I wonder if it's some, like, part of her memory, because she still remembers Swahili, and I really like they added this in, is when she gets frustrated, she starts speaking in Swahili. Uh, Chapel's like, no, 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 like, English, come on, you can, or, like, standard, or whatever. She's like, no, swahili you can do this you know and so i think that there is still something of her core that is still there and so maybe her emotional core is still fine i don't know but i was wondering this too they're like we've got her back up to college level so she should be on the job in a week and i'm like in a A
0: week week?
1: like what (laughs) about her starfleet training like does she remember anything about the comms like i guess she does because she's fine by the end she knows (laughs) the
0: code like
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wild. But also, that is amazing that she was able to learn all that that fast. I know. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the Swahili. Um, that is her character. Also, I know Ahura means freedom in Swahili, and that's why that's cool. they chose to name her that. Again, they didn't give her, her first name. It's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not over it. Um, no. I'm also not over that we have no idea about her background at all. And yeah. I know... Really, in TOS, the only people who get a background are Kirk and Spock. Even McCoy's is super limited. Yeah. Um, but I would still like to know. <laughs> yeah, still, like, what are her loves? What are her stuff she hates? Like, like, who raised her? Was she yeah. born on Earth? Like, I don't know. Right, exactly. So I, I would really like to know that. And I know that, like, there was one episode where – they're all, like, shown their, like, dream vision, she sees this man who, like, speaks Swahili, and, like, that's really cool for her because she gets to connect with her culture and stuff, and I don't think she gets a lot of that time to connect because there's probably no one else who speaks Swahili on board or whatever, but, um yeah, we just don't get a ton of that, so it's it's sad, and particularly because she's a senior bridge crew person, you know, I mean, she, she's constantly on the bridge. We're constantly seeing her. Oh, yeah. Um I think something that's so special about the animated series, which I will never say that sentence again, um, (laughs) is that because it's animated and because the series was, like, so low profile, they were able to do more things with Mm -hmm. it than they were, especially, like, back in the 60s. And one of my favorite Ahura, well, maybe the best Ahura episode, is the Lorelei signal. Yes. Um, Because Ahura actually takes command of the freaking ship <laughs> incredible I love it when she, sa- when she declares that and Chapel's like what and she's like these men are acting crazy like they're clearly not of sound mind Scotty's like on the bridge just singing a little Scottish tune <laughs> like it's clear that no one is in their right <laughs> mind except the women and so she's automatically organizing all female away teams all female security team and she's making sure all the women are analyzing the data and i just love how immediately she's like mobilizing people she's like okay like now i'm in command i can go and get all this stuff done and we can save the men and save the day it's amazing. It's, like, totally unprecedented. I feel like the next time we have an all-woman away team is maybe disco. I don't even know if we've had an all-woman. Yeah. I think we yeah, have. Yeah, it's disco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> In the 70s? That's, That's amazing. It's so good. I just – I felt so powerful watching that episode, and I think part of it is, like you said, Rihanna, the fact that she is so prepared for this – it does remind me of whenever Sulu takes the bridge, which he does often when the crew is on an away mission. I always am confident in his ability to lead the Enterprise. And the same thing, when Ahura jumps in and she's like, I'm the captain now, yeah. I, I'm not even worried. I'm like, oh, cool. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. We're in good hands. Yeah. Yeah oh absolutely and the fact that like she goes down and she's talking to these women and she's like no bs she's like threatening to destroy their temple unless she shows she's like give us our men back or i will destroy your temple i'm like that is awesome like she is not pulling her punches she's gonna be very intense and serious and like she gets it done so fast. <laughs> yeah. And also she, I feel like has a hand on this resolution with these women because the, the Lorelai signal that they're screaming out is that they want men to come to their planet so they can suck their lives and then live forever. Yeah. And that is, that's just like the nature of the planet that they're on. And when mm-hmm. they first got there, there were men there, but the men were aging and dying and losing their life force really quickly. Like we see yeah. it happen to Kirk, Spock and McCoy in this episode. Um, And so Ahura is a part of their relocation, which I think is so cool. And I think um, something that I don't know if the men would have asked about, you know, (laughs) like if Kirk would have been like, so are you guys happy here? Or, you know, I think that's really cool that she had a hand in that. Well and the women are so grateful they're like like we'd rather be mortal and like live out a, a normal life than have to keep like draining these men and yeah. I just think that that's amazing that she gave them that opportunity. Well and it shows that these women are not just villains they're not just like it they're not happy to take the lives and live forever kind of like crawl. They do crave a normal life and so Ahura like speaking with them shows that there are shades of gray in every situation and I love that. Yeah. What well, also makes me happy when I get to hear Nichelle Nichols do voice acting for like various computers and other act and other characters. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can just tell that it's literally only Major Barrett and Michelle Nichols being all these different women. They're just, like, get to play all these different characters. And it's just really fun, though, to hear her, obviously, I love her as a Hura, but it's cool to hear her stretch her talent and get to be these other random, like, women on the planet or the computer sometimes or what have you. That's so fun to me that she got to be such a huge part of the animated series. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, and there's, you know, the other episode we watched is Once Upon a Planet and. Ahura gets kidnapped in this episode, but she has these wonderful scenes where she's really trying to negotiate with this computer that kidnapped her on the shoreleaf planet, they call it. And um, she even like she's trying to reason with the computer and when that doesn't happen she tries to like subtly go over and disconnect it like she is doing everything in her power and I like that because she doesn't just like whimper and cower and be like I'm a hostage I have nothing to do she's the whole episode she is trying to like understand why and negotiate and everything and say like please don't turn off my crew like I want them to live you know and I I just think that like she sort of laid the groundwork for then for then the uh, spock and kirk to come in and like start to reason with the computer like oh, yeah. he listened to her first the computer did absolutely and i think part of it is because she listened to him first and yes or, the computer telling mm-hmm. his story about how he wanted to be free from the humans and he even yeah. questions her like aren't those people your masters don't you want to escape from them and i know that there's like I don't know. There's there's some racial tones mm-hmm. in this, and I don't know <laughs> what to think about it. Particularly using the term "masters," I was like, ooh, I, really I don't like don't him like saying it. that to Ahura. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I really don't. like But it. I do like yeah. her sort of just like masters. What? No, like the Enterprise is like we created the Enterprise. <laughs> like, if anything, you know, we're in control of it, kind of thing, or like we respect it and it respects us, kind of thing. Yeah, I yeah. I think they're maybe trying to paint the computer in a like sympathizing light where it felt really bogged down by the former human. um, Mm -hmm. That was like telling it what to do. And now it's like, I've got control, but yeah, it made me uncomfy. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, her is amazing. And like you said, she was the reason that they were all able to get off the planet.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So I think the, like, other best Uhura episode is the episode Mirror Mirror, because we don't get to see Uhura co-down on a lot of away missions. She is generally up doing communications, making sure to patch people through, or clear a signal, or clear the channels, or whatever. Um, And so it's really awesome that she gets to be a part of this away team that is trying to negotiate to get whatever mineral they need from this group on the planet, and they're, like, stridently refusing, so they oh, go dilithium back up. lithium crystals. Oh, duh, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, so they're trying to get dilithium from the planet, and they said no, and so then they're going back up, and, of course, <laughs> get thrust into the mirror universe, and I gotta say, like, the way that everyone handles this is pretty freaking impressive because I would just like break down I would not be a good actor I would not be able to like survive in the mirror universe I'd be thrown in an agony booth right away (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think I'd be right there with you Rihanna. (laughs) <laughs> but, like, even though Uhura's scared, and she tells Kirk, she's like, what is going on? Like, I'm worried about this. Like, everyone's acting weird. She still does her job. And she has the difficult job of distracting this horrible, horrible mirror Sulu, who is very, like, Ew, just dicey. And he's, you know, uh, clearly done a lot of sexually horrible things to maybe the Ahura in the mirror universe. And she has the job of distracting Sulu while the others are, like, getting into the transporter, you know, essentially so he doesn't see the alert on his comm. Yeah. Um, I mean, not only that, but I think she also has a tough job just being on the bridge the entire time because at least Kirk and Spock and McCoy get to like run around the ship and not necessarily be in the limelight all the time mm-hmm. but Ahura is forced to just try to act normal which is impossible in this crazy situation yeah um the scene you're talking about where she distracts sulu i i really love how they set this up because initially when she's on the bridge Sulu comes up to her and is you know trying to flirt and be violent towards her Loki. Yeah. Um, and then again when she's doing the distraction, she just masterfully manipulates him. Oh, so it's so good. Well. And she's like, you know, part of this game is that you come to me and I ignore you and then you have to come back. And you didn't come back. And she's yes. playing it so well. And then when she's like she slaps him and she said, I changed my mind. Like Yes, oh, I love oh. it. And she pulls a knife on him. Incredible. Oh, oh, oh. I, just, I, I love her, and like, cause she has to ride this line between sexy and like powerful, you know, like because she has to sort of sexualize herself in this way to Sulu to distract him. But then she gets to be like badass and gets to pull a knife on him and be like really like, haha, like I got you kind of thing. And I just really love the fact that like Ohora gets this moment because it's so freaking powerful and that she holds her ground. That would be terrifying in general but also to see a a face you know and trust like she trusts Sulu and she trusts him to never be that way with her and so to see him so creepy and like coming onto her in this really horrible way and still getting to like still having the just bravery to smack him and pull a knife and everything is so amazing I was thinking about that too especially if like I'm sure she spends so much time with Sulu on the bridge yeah um And they gotta know each other really well. It would be so weird to see Mir Sulu acting so disrespectful and like so crazy. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I do feel like there is an element of the mirror universe that does allow you to release your inner um, your inner baddie, <laughs> yeah, your inner baddie, or like all all of the things you shouldn't do in your whole life. Yeah. You've been like, I shouldn't do that. Like, I shouldn't right. slap this man. But you can in the mirror universe. You, you know, you slap you're, anyone you want. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I feel like she does kind of connect with that for a second, and she's like, Cool. Well, then I get to slap Sulu I can do yeah. whatever I want. And because she has the knife, she can get away way with that and oh I just love it it's so powerful and she clearly is in such control of the situation oh I just I love the scene (laughs) oh man and this brings up a point that I I'm just so happy about with Uhura as a character in general is that she gets to subvert our expectations of the damsel like all of the time we see this very brief one-liner in Naked Time where you know Sulu is already Uh, been infected by the disease and so he's out shirtless on the bridge with his foil you know and he's like trying to and he says like fair maid I shall save you and she pushes him away and says sorry neither and I just freaking love that because she's like subverting this expectation of like that she needs to be rescued and that she needs help and same thing in Mirror Mirror she is the one who instigates the rescue and she is the one who helps them get like back to their escape to the, um, the prime universe. And so it's really cool. And like even in Mirror Mirror, she wrestles the phaser out of Mar- Marlena's hand. And, um, we see a couple times where she just gets to like, take someone down you know we even have uhura in search for spock pulling a phaser on that really annoying ensign who's like mansplaining to her and she tells him to get in the closet like that is epic you know and so she's constantly showing us that she does not need saving or protecting similarly in even zoe saldana's uhura in star trek beyond you know like spock comes over and uhura ends up saving him and like there's a guy behind and she like takes him down or whatever and and she's like what are you doing here Spock and he's like saving you naturally you know and they kind of have a a little laugh about it because she's like I clearly just saved your butt and so I think that Ahura is such a great example of this is that like she's not going to be a damsel like she is the opposite she's going to be saving you and like oh my gosh it's just amazing yeah I love it. it yeah you said it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she, yeah, she's just great. And I love that we never have it any other way. You know, like Ahura mm-hmm. is who she is. And she's always in control of whatever situation. And oh, she's such an inspiration to me. I love her so much yeah and even when we get the scene in plato's stepchildren where she's beamed down and her and chapel are like forced to wear these clothes and forced to kiss spock and kirk and um all of this stuff it's definitely like problematic and like awful that these women are forced into this and it actually kind of reminds me of the scene in the cage when number one and that other yeoman are beamed down in order for like the buttheads the telosians to say like oh well choose a better woman then like you choose out of these women and of course number one is like what what the heck's going on like i am not standing for this like you're not choosing me and all this stuff and so similarly O'Hura admits in plato stepchildren like captain i'm frightened and he like yo bro me too essentially he's like this sucks um but she remains strong and like i don't know i just think that even when they're being forced in these really tough situations She doesn't ever back down, and it's amazing. Absolutely. Well, and some people will probably know that kiss scene. I mean, it's the first interracial kiss on television. It -hmm. was initially scripted to be Leonard Nimoy and Uhura, Mm -hmm. but Shatner saw that, and he was furious, and he said, I'm the captain, (laughs) Um, and he forced them to rewrite it, so he would be the one making history classic chat (sighs) not surprised by that nope not one bit um yeah period (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so I just like I'm so infinitely grateful that we get the women figures that we get in this series and um Ashlyn I want to ask you a closing question that we're going to close each of our feminist episodes with and that is which character which female character that we discussed today inspires you And why? I mean, besides all of them, I feel like Gabby last episode, you monster, Rihanna, making
0: me choose. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, I mean, obviously, Ahura is extremely inspiring. Um, I would say, actually, from our discussion today, though, Edith Keeler Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. like, kind of not the obvious answer. Um, She's someone who like did so well in the circumstances that she was in and made no excuses for anything and just did what she had to do and made a huge difference in the world and she's just a huge inspiration to me i think i'm right now i'm at a time in my life where i don't know what i'm supposed to do um, mm-hmm. a career or otherwise i just have like no idea what's gonna happen to me <laughs> and yeah so I, fair. it's such like a strange time in my life right now and i'm really looking like, four answers, um, and trying to figure out what I want to do, and being anything close to Edith Keeler would be a true accomplishment for me. So, for this episode, I mean, again, like, I can't understate a hurrah. It's a hurrah, but, like, for right now, I don't know. I just really connected with Edith Keeler. Wonderful answer. What about you? Um, who really inspired you after our discussion today? Well, I'm gonna kind of cheat and say, like, Of course, the character of Uhura is very inspiring, but I'm going to say Nichelle Nichols Mm. as a figure and as not, not even just a figure, but as a person and as someone who had to face so much adversity. I think that often black women are told they're strong because they had to face all these horrible things and that and that's something that my girlfriend expresses a lot of frustration about is like cool, I had to be strong. Like, what do you mean? Like, this is not something that I wanted to be, you know, and not something that I wanted to have to suffer through. And like, I just, my heart goes out to people of color who feel like they have to be strong all the time or have to be trailblazers or have to be in this certain role. And I know that Nichelle struggled with that, particularly how gut-wrenching it would be to see your lines get cut, see your parts get diminished so much. But the fact that she continued and had that inspiration from Martin Luther King Jr. and like had the inspiration from probably her like millions of fans, you know, and to know that she still inspires people today. And I think about maybe little girls of color who are maybe starting to watch Prodigy and they want to go back and watch the original series. They'll see Uhura and continue to be inspired by her. They'll see Whoopi Goldberg and continue to be inspired. They'll see even Senequa Martin Green. Yeah. yeah. Senequa Martin Green and continue to be inspired it's incredible you're so right and so like I am just like we are so lucky that Nichelle Nichols is a part of Star Trek and Star Trek would not be Star Trek without her and she is a foundation that can never be taken away from Trek and so I'm just so 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 glad that she continued to be on the show and continued to change the way that black women are viewed and pave the way for others other amazing characters and actors that we're going to be talking about in our future series so a little bit of cheating but I'm going to say Nichelle Nichols (laughs) I can't fault you for that answer (laughs) Um, also like it's our podcast our rules so you can do whatever you want (laughs) if you had said DC Fontana I also would have been like hey right yeah yeah everyone's inspiring so absolutely yeah wow Rihanna, that was our first episode of the Feminism Series. This is crazy. We're going to be cruising through this so fast. I know it's just going to be gone before we even realize, but I'm just cherishing this journey, and I'm so glad we get to talk about these incredible women and female-identifying characters and actors. So next week, we have very exciting news. We are going to be joined by the Where's Beverly podcast. Ah! I'm so excited. They are a Star Trek Picard podcast who speculates where Beverly is, essentially. (laughs) I stumbled across their pod on Instagram and was so inspired by the fact that they are Beverly Crusher lovers that we are going to be doing our Beverly Crusher segment with them. We'll be talking everything Crusher, how amazing she is, and wondering where she is in the future. So um, get excited for that. And please stay tuned. We will be posting... Like, keep up with our watch list. You can watch along. All of these awesome feminist episodes will be coming up. So, thank you so much, all of you, for listening today. Yeah. And I also just want to plug a couple things. Um, Right now, as we were recording this episode, we actually had Stephanie Baker become a $5 patron um, (gasps) on our Patreon. So, thank you to Stephanie Baker. You are amazing. Thank you for um, choosing to become a patron of ours uh she now has content to like hours of secret podcasts that we release Um, yes and so i hope she's enjoying them and i also just want to remind everybody that every time we release an episode (laughs) rihanna has an amazing brain and somehow merch will be created based (laughs) off of that episode And so we actually have a shop where we are selling our merch, so please, you can, I think pretty much all of our bios have the link to it, or at least a link to most of our stuff. Um, It's also the durasisters.threadless.com, so Threadless is amazing, Yeah, Um, go and check out their stuff. I have gotten a compliment, I was wearing my um, hunchback whales sweater (laughs) when I went shopping, and the person was like, is that a... Is, is that from star star trek and i was like yeah <laughs> that's amazing that <laughs> they knew i think only the duras sisters they were like mm-hmm. oh wait that's star trek the whale thing was very confusing to them Sure, um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i could not believe i was yeah i was it was recognized. that's amazing uh yeah so definitely go check that out uh you will not regret it even i mean even just window shopping it's really impressive the collection that rihanna has made so Um, I really encourage you all to take a look. It's really um, high-quality stuff. So, Well, um, and also on our Patreon, we have an episode covering the animated series called Uhura Front and Center. And so I made a sticker where I... Um, drew Ahura from the animated series, and she is front and center. And so, since we are talking about our feminism episode, I just want you to all go and look at Ahura and remember that she should be front and center all the time. And I'm actually bought a sticker so she can be front and center on my water bottle So I'm very excited, Rihanna, Why doesn't my water bottle have that sticker?
0: <laughs> you gotta go buy it. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, I guess fine. <laughs> <laughs> why did
1: you call me shoddy? <laughs> who's to say (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh okay well what a what a blast um I want to thank you Rihanna and I want to thank our listeners for sticking with us through the ups and downs of this podcast Mm -hmm. um I think it's really good to talk about the hard stuff sometimes and um I also think it's always the right time to celebrate powerful women so here we are doing both 100 percent and I think that every month should be Black History Month. Every month should be Women's History Month. And we just have to continue to celebrate women in every shape and form. So thank you all so much for listening to this. And I'm just so pumped to talk TNG next week. Whoa, me too. Thank you for listening to the Duras Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the second episode of our feminism series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss the amazing women in Star Trek The Next Generation. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our merch on Threadless and our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen by donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron like Stephanie and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, villains, and movies. <laughs> wow. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro and outro is by Jerry Goldsmith. Don't forget to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I kept that. When... And what was the first memory? (laughs) Woo! Let me start that again. What was the first memory you have? Nope. (laughs) What was the first memory you have? Period. Tell me right now.